This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to Buckeye Talk, your favorite ragtag band of misfits trying to find a place to do a podcast. Doug Lamarie, Stephen Means, and Nathan Baird for Cleveland.com. Go read our stories at Cleveland.com. We have a special guest this week, which you will enjoy, Cam Meller from PFF is going to be on to talk about his ranking of the best quarterbacks in college football and where Justin Fields works into that. But first, our five headlines about the Buckeyes as we get started on this. It's not a bye week per se. It's not a bye week in, in terms of the fact in that... Anyway. Well, I mean, in terms of the fact that they could, they barely have to show... I'm going to call it three quarters of a bye week. That's a shot at Northwestern, and you should take it as such, Pat Fitzgerald... If you have the tweeter or the Google net, feel free to get on it and take this as bulletin board material because we think Ohio State is going to beat Northwestern by 50 on Friday night. Our first headline, number one, Nathan Baird, is there any way Northwestern can give Ohio State a game in Evanston on Friday? No. I can expound on that if we need to, but it's I, I, I don't think this Northwestern offense can possibly – not only summon enough drives to put points on the board against Ohio State because it would have to be consistently sustaining drives, but I also just don't know that they can perform well enough to take the pressure off their own defense. Um, this is just a, one of these mismatch games. There's only a couple of teams in the Big Ten that could possibly challenge Ohio State this year. Wildcats are not one of them, even at their home stadium, even on a Friday night. Number two headline, where does Justin Fields rank among the best quarterbacks in college football, when you hear our interview with Cam, you will see that he has Justin Fields ranked number four. And as good as Justin Fields has been this year, I think that's right. I don't think he is number one or number two or number three. I think he is being um, completely in control of this offense. But I do think there are other guys against better competition who are making some bigger plays. I think the best of Justin Fields is yet to come. Um, Ryan Day said on Monday that, he does have most of the playbook, and there's not going to be some giant change. But I do think we could see a more um, dynamic Justin Fields in the weeks ahead. But I think right now he's certainly one of the top five. I don't think we're talking about him as the best quarterback in college football right now, though. Number three, Stephen Means, where can Justin Fields improve? I think 
this is just like his improvement isn't just growing things as a quarterback. Like his decision making, he's had some things, some near turnovers that weren't turnovers. He does have the one interception, but he could have about three or four interceptions. I think sometimes he does have some drastic moments, like when he scrambled back for like an 18 yard sack when he should have just threw the ball away or just took in a two or three yard sack. So it's really just small nitpicky things that he needs to improve on right now. Number four, Nathan Baird. We're looking past Northwestern, but can Wisconsin or Penn State, two teams ranked in the top 10 in the AP poll right now, are they legitimate challengers for the Buckeyes later this season? I Boy, it, it's hard to see that just because the separation has been so significant in every game that Ohio State has played. That has not been the case necessarily for Wisconsin and Penn State. Penn State just had a tough game at Iowa over the weekend. Um, Wisconsin, I think Northwestern played with them, what, 10 points of them, 24 to 15, something like that, just a couple weeks ago. And again, an offense that, that has essentially nothing right now. Um, the combined quarterback rating of Northwestern's quarterbacks this year is 100, more than 100 points less than Justin Fields' quarterback rating. And that tells you a little bit something about how bad they've been. Um, I, I just don't see, unless Ohio State hurts itself in those games, commits a lot of mistakes, um, some unsightly turnovers, something weird happens with the injuries. I, this just seems like a 12-0 regular season. Number five is Ryan Day, the Big Ten Coach of the Year. Some people are handing out midseason awards. I think everybody has given Jonathan Taylor Offensive Player of the Year at the midway point. Everybody is giving Chase Young Defensive Player of the Year at the midway point. Uh, I think the only challenger for Ryan Day in Coach of the Year is P.J. Fleck at Minnesota. The fact that Minnesota, I think, is 6-0 and and could get to 8-0, and even if they're playing terrible teams, and they are, um, that is a pretty remarkable turnaround. I know Minnesota was a dark horse uh, for a lot of people in the West, um, some smarter people than people who voted in my preseason poll, who we all picked Nebraska. I almost think I might give it to P.J. Fleck because P.J. Fleck was given nothing at Minnesota. And Ryan Day, although he is doing a tremendous job, stepped into a tremendous situation. He he is keeping the boat afloat, and P.J. Fleck had to build his own boat and bring his own oars. So I know that uh, I know that I think most people would vote for Ryan Day. I think you have to have Minnesota. Ugh, I mean, like I I always think that Minnesota ha- should have a better program than it has. Um, they're winning some tight games. I think some people thought that P.J. Fleck was more of a talker than a doer. Uh, but he has injected some life into that program. So I honestly might give my vote to P.J. Fleck, and that's just what people listening to this podcast want to hear. All right, let's get down to our um, our topic at hand, and you can ask questions on this podcast if you pay money. That's how we do I mean, I, we got to make money. Don't we? We don't do this for free. We have to make money. I know someone... Um, made a point earlier that uh, to act like everybody else gets this podcast for free, it's like, well, they you have to pay for electricity, right? And you have to pay for like a cell phone. Bill. So I guess no one gets this for free. It's just that money is not going to us, per se. Yeah, it's it's as good as free to us. You could go to a cases. library and listen to it on their computer, and then technically it is free. But you might have to drive your car and pay gas money to get to the library. Well, at, at the very least, there's sweat equity involved. That's fair. So if you're walking to a library, it's free. Other than that, you're paying for it, but we need four bucks a month if you I'd want say, to If someone is carrying you to a library, possibly pushing you there in a wheelbarrow. Nothing is free in life. That isn't your wheelbarrow. It has to be their Including asking a question on this podcast. We will... 
We will draw a name out of a hat later in this episode, and then we will put you in a wheelbarrow and wheel you to your closest library to thank you for listening to Buckeye Talk. So we, we are going to do that, huh? Steven's going to do it. Let's be honest. He's young and athletic, and I'm old, and my back hurts, and, and you're not going to – you don't want to do it, do you? No. He's, Steven will do it. Um, 14-day free trial, cleveland.com slash OSU for more information, or project text – dot com slash Buckeye Talk four bucks a month from from the eight one three. By the way, I I was tested this week. I've been tested in my life. Believe me, I've been tested. But I was tested this week to find out how I would respond to someone who sent me a text that I didn't like. Like if you send me a tweet that I don't like, I'll go off on you, or more likely just mute you. I'm muting so many people right now. It's just going to be me staring at an empty Twitter screen with no messages on it because I'm going to have muted all of Twitter. But I was like, what happens when someone sends me a text that offends me? And it turns out what happens is I send a nasty text back. So just because you're paying four bucks a month, you can say whatever you want. But I also can respond however I want, as it turns out. And so I thought the person was trolling me. And the person said, no, they weren't trolling me. But the thing that bothered me was that they questioned the quality of my work, and they said it seemed like I didn't care about something. I think it was recruiting talk. And that why don't I care about it, and why don't like I raise the quality of my work? And like you can do a lot of things, and I get a lot wrong, and you can make fun of my predictions, but like if you're going to come in my house and act like I don't work hard and I don't care, like that's not going to go over well. So uh, that person then responded, and... I don't think we're fighting, but don't ask if I'm trying hard because I can show you like my uh, this the, the ask my family and ask my doctor if I dedicate enough time and effort to my job, and the answer will be he dedicates too much. So don't do that. Your doctor? Oh yeah, you can ask me about my, my uh, yeah. I'm a mess right now. I'm a mess, and it's because of my job, and that's fine. But I don't like it when you uh, imply that I'm not trying hard. Okay. Aren't you guys, aren't your lives a wreck? Aren't oh, you, yeah. Aren't your personal lives a wreck because of this job? I keep telling my mom I'm going to schedule a dentist appointment. And I've been saying that for like eight months. Your teeth are falling out of your head. I mean, they're fine, but it's just, you know. Nathan, you're still engaged, right? I am. We even uh, use, this is what I do with the off week. Everybody else gets to like go you know, sit down and watch a bunch of football games and really just, like, enjoy the sport. So I was back in Indianapolis uh, getting engagement photos done, um, sitting down and having a taste test of the, the caterer that we think we're going to use for the wedding. So a lot of, like, life things got in the way of just being able to sit around and, and ingest football for a weekend. What What were the poses that you got, you got your uh, engagement photos the, nothing nothing too bizarre on the poses actually a pretty cool little uh the photographer's parents own this like country house with like a pond and we were out there like first thing in the morning so there's like mist coming off the pond and all this stuff it was a pretty neat setting just if you're into that sort of thing. no we're into it we're into it and so we can send you will tweet these photos out this will be reserved for the platinum level four hundred dollar a month <laughs> Cleveland.com. Somebody tech out, subscribers. So, somebody out there will will pay for that. Or, or like you know, if you're a personal friend of ours, you might see them. But do you think that we could get Buckeye Talk photos taken like that? 
oh, I'm sure if we were willing to pay for them. The three, if the three of us went to a pond, a misty pond yeah, at the dawn. The three of us like snuggled up in a blanket in front of some pumpkins. Yeah. yeah. Listen, listen to Buckeye. Talk. Someone right now is photoshopping. Very wide in the background. Someone has, <laughs> someone has stopped, someone has stopped listening to the podcast to begin photoshopping this. Because together. when, when you join Buckeye Talk, it's kind of like getting engaged. You didn't really get to pick who you're marrying. Yeah, it's like an arranged marriage. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. You spend a lot of time together. <laughs> you guys got the short end of the stick, I'll tell you that. Alright. This is from Dre Venture in Tampa. Would you rather, this is a, we're, we're talking about quarterbacks, cause we have Cam coming on later. Would you rather have this Joe Burrow, potential Heisman contender, or one year of a record setting Haskins and then Justin Fields? So we've, we've addressed this before, but it becomes more of an interesting question the better Joe Burrow gets. The, the question is, if Joe Burrow, if they had picked Joe Burrow to win the quarterback competition, Ohio State would have 2018 Joe Burrow and 2019 Joe Burrow. Instead, they have 2018 Dwayne Haskins and now 2019-2020 Justin Fields. Let's refresh what exactly we're talking about here. Joe Burrow leads the nation in passer rating. It's uh, 218. Justin Fields is sixth at 187. Joe Burrow is throwing for 360 yards a game. Justin Fields is throwing for 216 yards a game. Burrow has 25 touchdowns and three picks. Justin Fields has 18 touchdowns and one pick. Joe Burrow, 11.6 yards per attempt. Justin Fields, 9.2 yards per attempt. Justin Fields is completing 70% of his passes. Joe Burrow is completing 80% of his passes with a yards per attempt approaching 12. That is, like, ridiculous. I, I'll i start here because I am I was around Joe Burrow for a lot here, and I'm, uh, I'm going to write this at some point, but... And I sent this to our tech subscribers. He, when he was here... He loved Matthew Delabadova, and so that's what I did with Joe Burrow. I'm the guy from Cleveland.com. He wore Matthew Delabadova jerseys, and so when we talked to Joe Burrow, I asked him about Delhi, and I asked him about the Cavs. And I didn't really ask him about playing quarterback because I didn't really know when he was going to play quarterback here. So he became Matthew Delabadova in my mind. He became, that's who he was as a player to me. And now he's LeBron. And now people are talking about how much drip he has. Is that right? Yeah. Do you have drip or do you drip? You uh, you have drip. Can you drip with drip? Man, that guy is dripping with drip. This is making me uncomfortable. Oh, uh, is, be, that guy is dripping. Is, is he drip is dripping with the sauce? <laughs> this is where this is only going to get worse. This, this is, is like old lame guy radio hour. As Stephen Means puts his head in his hands. But he does. Doesn't he have... You're a cool young man. Yes, doesn't yeah. he have... He has some drip, doesn't yeah, he? Uh, yeah, he, yes. He is playing with some swagger at the moment. Yes. But he also... His hair's a little bit longer. He's got the... He doesn't have the, ble- the, the beach blonde hair anymore. No. no, he looks... Yeah, he looks cooler. And you can tell... now. And, and people have talked about this. Ohio State fans and players have been very supportive of Joe Burrow in his success at, L- at LSU. And some people have, have tried to draw a comparison between... Um, 
the way Ohio State fans feel about Joe Burrow and the way Georgia fans feel about Justin Fields. And I do think it's been impressive that people have supported Joe Burrow like this, but it's easy to support somebody when, like, you feel good about where you are. I don't think anybody at Ohio State has any regrets about this, but Joe Burrow must be a guy that teammates like because you'll see guys like Johnny Dixon or Jamarco Jones or some of these guys who are, who are out of Ohio State right now but who are here with Joe just tweeting in a way that shows you they love this guy and they're so excited for him to succeed. Um, but he went from Delhi to LeBron, and I never saw it coming. And so the idea I wrote after the spring game in 2018, Dwayne Haskins made a throw in that game that I was just like, that's it. It's over. Like, I don't think Joe Burrow can make that throw. And if you have a guy who can make that kind of throw, it's a next-level throw. It's an NFL throw. It's a, it's a national championship kind of throw. If you have a guy who can do that, I always thought Joe Burrow was like JT Barrett. I thought it was the next coming of JT Barrett. Like, tough, a leader, can run it, can throw it pretty well. But I never thought he was going to lead the league, lead the nation in passer rating and average 360 yards passing a game. So to me, it's like a crazy, it's like, of course you would take Haskins and Fields because I can't believe this Joe Burrow has happened. And to just say, well, yeah, I want that LSU Joe Burrow. Give me him. Feels like a disingenuous choice to me because that was not as much as Ohio State did develop him and get him ready for this success. This next level of his success is all about Joe and all about LSU. So to me, there was never a decision here. So that, like my view on it is skewed. You guys didn't cover Joe here, so maybe you can just evaluate Joe Burrow, the LSU quarterback. Would you rather have 2018 Joe Burrow, who was good but not great at LSU, and now this 2019 Joe Burrow, would you rather have Haskins and Fields? I think with everything Joe Burrow is doing this year, which is amazing, you take it in stride with the fact that he still lost the job to Dwayne Haskins, which in a world where, let's say, Dwayne Haskins comes back, what Dwayne Haskins would have been doing this year is better than what Joe Burrow is doing. So I'd rather take the guy who in his first year as a starter had 50 touchdown passes and then the guy who follows him up was the number two player in his class and is already looking like a Heisman candidate. And so we know he'll be a favorite among the favorites in going into 2020. I'll take that combination over a guy where, yes, he's playing well, but it took him, this is his fifth year of college football to get to this level. Well, the other thing you have to remember here is I know what the the person is asking, one and one versus two years of Burrow, but it's not just one and one because you got Fields next year too. Yeah, and, and without Fields here, which wouldn't have happened if Burrow were here, who knows what Ohio State has next year? Right now, it knows it has an elite, great quarterback next year. We, we um, there was a time a couple years ago, and I think I mentioned this before, where we went through on this podcast and tried to project the next five years of starting quarterbacks at Ohio State. And it's just so blown up. You can go back and find that podcast now and you would laugh at it. And like at a place like Ohio State, you just wouldn't even attempt that exercise anymore because the next Ohio State quarterback might be Florida State's backup right now. Or he might be the starting quarterback at Arizona State. A fourth year junior starting somewhere. You know, or, or, or he might, he might be Michael Penix Jr. Like, you'll hear, listen to camp, like, it's weird, it's a lot of weird stuff. 
Ohio State missed Michael Penix Jr. when he was hurt. He's the quarterback at Indiana who was hurt for the right. Ohio State game, right. who is like bonkers since he came back. Well, he was good before, too. I mean, they, they were looking forward to playing him in some ways because they thought that was going to be the first big challenge that they saw. It was going to help them prepare for Avian Martinez, which, as it turned out, and I was think, unnecessary. I think the next, and maybe we're already in this evolution, I can't think of it, but like Gardner, Gardner Minshew was at where? Some random place. I think an FCF school before he transferred to Washington State. And he was going to transfer to Alabama and be a backup there as a fifth-year guy and just uh, like learn and get ready for a coaching career. And instead he went to Washington State. But he had been the starter at a lower-level school. So far in the transfer portal with quarterbacks, we're seeing guys who don't win jobs, whether it's Jalen Hurts or um, Justin Fields or Tate Martell. We're seeing guys leave one big program for another. I'm curious about, are we going to see an evolution of starters at good programs leave to be starters at great programs? And like Baker Mayfield transferred and Kyler Murray transferred, but both of them got like in a little bit of weird situations. But just like if Michael Penix Jr. is just awesome, and then he's like, oh, I'm so awesome, I'll go be Ohio State's quarterback. Why would I be Indiana's quarterback? I don't know if we're going to get to that point or not. But trying to project, so my point on this is, if Joe Burrow had been here, if Joe Burrow beats out Dwayne Haskins, and you know that Burrow's going to start in 18 and 19, there would be a freshman on this roster right now ready to take over in 2020 and year two. They would already have their version of Jack Miller or C.J. Stroud, who they're, they're anticipating Stroud or Miller will be that guy now, that they're going to be here for the last year of Justin Fields, and then they'll be ready to start in their second year on campus when Fields is gone. You would have a guy here right now who is here as the backup in the last year of Joe Burrow who is ready to be the starter next year because they ended up not getting a quarterback in the class of 2019 because Justin Fields blew everything up. So they didn't end up getting Emory Jones. They didn't end up getting Dwan Mathis. Like they, they, I guess, Emory Jones was here before, but like Dwan Mathis would have been the guy, I think, who would have, he was committed here and then he ended up, they ended up not taking a quarterback at all in 2019. So, yes, like, oh no, you would have lost Justin Fields, but you would have had some other great high school guy lined up. So there's so many what ifs. It's hard to keep track of what actually happens with quarterbacks that it's impossible to keep track of the what ifs of quarterback. But I just don't think I mean, is there, is there a quarterback situation? Because the part of, and, and, and this is part of the question, then we can move on from this, from the what ifs. Maybe other than like getting Trevor Lawrence here as a recruit, is there a situation that you would take over Justin Fields? That he's a transfer, but you're getting him for two years. He was ready to start as soon as he got here. You know, Joe Burrow's great. Jalen Hurts is great. LSU did get two years of Joe Burrow, but this Justin Fields thing is pretty good. Is there any quarterback situation that Ohio State should be envious of? No. No, because, like, like the worst thing about it is if Justin Fields gets hurt. And then it's like, oh, wow, maybe they should have, you know, been better at, like, building up the quarterback room. But in a situation where only one guy's – as long as Justin Fields is not hurt, then no, this is a perfect situation for what Ohio State wants. They got a guy for the next two years who's their quarterback. They've got one guy committed and another guy who's, who is probably going to commit or looks like he's going to commit to Ohio State as well. So, but in a, in a world where the transfer portal exists and like 
you asked today about the ideal quarterback room. I think the ideal quarterback room is your starting quarterback is like your guy, and you just figure it out behind him on a year-to-year basis. Yeah, I agree. And it's you know the other thing is, and you kind of hinged on this before. It, like we can play all these what ifs, but it's like any kind of like you know, B movie time travel scenario. There's unintended consequences. So you know we don't know that Joe Burrow becomes Joe Burrow if he stays here. Right. I mean, I think you would. Nor do we know Justin Fields eventually would become Justin Fields if he'd stayed at Georgia. Almost certainly would not have because that opportunity just wouldn't have been there. Right. I mean, like if Justin Fields stayed at Georgia, it's because the opportunity would have been there. It's like right. something happened to Fromm or they just gave him the job over Fromm. You know, like would Ryan Day and Mike Yersich have been able to develop Joe Burrow like this? I, you know, again, a lot of credit to LSU, but people seem to think that Ryan Day develops quarterbacks as well as anybody in the country. Right. So, so there's certainly a chance that Joe Burrow would have reached this threshold anyway. Um, but I just, I just don't think, I think there's a lot of people that wouldn't trade their quarterback situations, right? That, that even Oklahoma, it's like you got three years of Baker Mayfield, then you only got one year of Kyler, you got one year of Jalen Hurts, but like that has been so seamless in the transitions. They've been able to have guys lined up like that. I, Lincoln Riley wouldn't trade that for Trevor Lawrence. You know, you, you take what you have. So, um, I think Ohio State fans, the way they treat Joe Burrow, give you that answer that they don't, have hard feelings. They don't have regrets. They don't wish it was any different. So they can root for a guy who might end up facing Ohio State in the playoff, and they can do it because Justin Fields is here. There's gonna, we're gonna talk about this at some point. Maybe we already did. I'm really in the, at the stage of the season when I literally, I send these text messages, and every time I send one, I'm like, did I text this like three days ago, and I've completely forgotten it? The, the true crazy person scenario is Justin Fields at Penn State and the idea of, oh, my God, Ohio State is getting ready to face Penn State this year. I think I talked about this on a radio show last week. I think you've talked about this on here as well. Like, that's the crazy scenario. Justin Fields plays for Penn State, and Ohio State's quarterback is Tate Martell or Matthew Baldwin. That's I mean, crazy. It's been, I think Penn State's the favorite in that game at that point. Pat Fitzgerald today talking about how close he thinks um, maybe Northwestern could have come if only people hadn't found out how good Justin Fields was and then told people about it. Which is the fascinating thing of, and we've talked about, we've written about this before at Cleveland.com, just like, yes, recruiting at Ohio State is hard, but when you're the best, you can just say, we're trying to get the best and that's it. When you're recruiting in between there, where you're trying to recruit guys who are good enough to help you win, but not so good that better teams are going to take them. I mean, the idea of like, Justin Fields is awesome. Please let him throw 400 straight incompletions so that nobody else wants him would be a fascinating thing. That That's where Pat Fitzgerald lives every day of his life in recruiting. You know, we've started doing this thing. You guys have probably noticed uh, our readers every Monday. Um, top, you know, five players that Ohio State fans need to worry about from X opponent that's coming up. And I did the one for Northwestern this week. And today Ryan Day called Pat Fitzgerald one of the best football coaches in the country. And if you want to know why, go take the five guys that I wrote about and do a search for them and their 24-7 sports profile or whatever recruiting profile. I don't think any of those five guys were in the top 500 players in the country. Some of them were down in the thousands. Like, And those are the best guys that Northwestern has. And, yes, they're not good this year, especially on the offensive side of the ball. They're downright abysmal on the offensive side of the ball right now. But there's some really good defenders on that team. First team, all Big Ten caliber guys defensively on that team. And 
year in and year out, that team wins games. And I think that's a, that's a credit to Pat Fitzgerald. But it should give you some pause when you look at that. And if you, if you ever start to feel spoiled as a fan, go look at something like that and see that your team gets to live in a different world. And it's not because your coaches, your coaches put in the time. They, they, they work hard. They've got this down to a, a particular strategy of how they approach these things. Yes, all those things are true, but there are some inherent things here that will always give your team a big leg up over a lot of these other teams. All right, so let's do this. Let's get to the interview with Cam Meller from PFF. We're going to dig in on his rankings of the best quarterbacks in college football, and then we will come back, when, uh, and Stephen, Nathan, and I will continue to answer your text questions here on Buckeye Talk. Here on Buckeye Talk with Cam Meller, the senior college football analyst for PFF, a tremendous site um, that breaks down the NFL and college football in ways that uh, most places do not. So we are delighted to have Cam on the line today. Thanks for your time. Hey, my pleasure. Anytime. Anytime I can talk football, anytime we can talk some OSU football, though, I'm, I'm, I'm excited. Why, why are you particularly excited about OSU football? Is it because they're the best team in the country? I'm just kidding. I wanted to get excited. We're not that kind of podcast, but they are playing very well. What, what are you seeing from your vantage point, Cam, from Ohio State this year? That's really what I'm excited about is that it, this is a complete team, and this is a team that seems like they can actually make some noise and go forward. And if there's a team that can compete with some of these SEC schools that have kind of dominated college football over the past few years, I, or that Clemson team, this, is, this seems to be through you know seven weeks of action, six games here for most teams. Uh, you know, this seems to be the team from top top to bottom that uh, that can compete among these big dogs. I know OSU has been a, a big dog, so to speak, over the past few years as well. But you know, not getting to that uh, that pinnacle moment, and and maybe the team that can break the the reign of Clemson, Alabama. Um, we we have written and talked a lot about that here at Cleveland.com, and I would say that after Ohio State won the national championship in 2014, I thought. Urban Meyer and the Buckeyes would rise to the place of being the primary challenger to Alabama in college football. And instead, very clearly, Clemson took that spot. Coming into this season, did you feel like there was a pretty clear line or any kind of significant drop-off between Alabama and Clemson and everybody else? How would you have characterized maybe that top two coming into this year? Yeah, and I think actually that that is still the case with us in terms of the way we look at our metrics and our, our power ranking, so to speak. It takes a lot into consideration uh, of what teams have done previously in the last year's set of data that we have because it uses kind of our stable metrics from from year to year. Uh, and so that's where we saw it entering the year. There was, you know, if there if if the AP votes are, you know, X amount of votes for first place, how we rank it is on a total point system. And the drop-off between Clemson and Alabama was about 50 points between those two. And then the next closest was 150-plus away. So the gap was very considerable from one and two, Clemson and Alabama. And that's just kind of where it's been. We've, we've needed these first six, seven weeks to get actually somebody to get up there close to it. Right now, we actually have, you know, three schools kind of pressuring for the you know, one, two, three spots. But, yeah, I mean, that's where we, we came into the, to, to the season with a pretty considerable considerable margin for you know, one and two was Clemson, Alabama, and there was really nobody else on paper until uh, proven otherwise that could have challenged. I want to get into the quarterback rankings that you you put out uh, before this previous weekend. I leaned on your preseason quarterback rankings for a story a couple weeks ago, and I've leaned on them throughout the year because um, to be able to to put into context, you know, every quarterback in uh, in major college football is quite a thing. So I would recommend everybody, uh, if you haven't 
If you don't read PFF, if you haven't checked that out, check out Cam's rankings of all the quarterbacks. I there's obviously it's it's not a coincidence because I it seems like when you guys rank quarterbacks, team success is part of that. But it seems like to me it is matching up more than usual that there are a handful of elite teams in college football. And they are led by the handful of elite quarterbacks in college football. Is this an interesting year in your mind, or is this kind of how it usually is, that the best teams and the best quarterbacks are connected? I think that kind of proves the, the point of quarterbacks not only being the most important position in football, but probably in any sort of organized team sport at any level, a quarterback is going to be the only person essentially outside of the center that makes any sort of decisions and touches the ball every single play. And that's why, and that's what we've seen from our numbers. It is by far the most important position uh, on the field at any given time. And so that's kind of where it is. And team success does weigh heavily uh, on uh, in the rankings, but it's also there's so many more things that went into considering all these things. And it kind of that's just where it is. These guys are good because they're leading their teams to wins, but also their teams are good because these guys are leading the teams as well. So, I mean, obviously you have the, the big-name guys and then, you know, it, take, it takes a lot to kind of crack the list, but also it takes a lot to kind of put up good numbers on the team if you're not winning as well. So there is there is kind of this, I think, just goes a long way at proving that it is the most important position on the field. And, you know, this is the first time we've done these rankings uh, through a season. We've kind of done them either after a season or before a season, but never all 130. So it's been a pretty fun exercise to actually watch them kind of evolve and see which teams uh, are being led by these quarterbacks and which quarterbacks are actually, uh, you know, living up to the hype, so to speak. All right, before we get to the very top dudes, and of course, Justin Fields is among them, I want to go completely sideways for one moment because I saw that you were tweeting uh, on Saturday about Indiana football, and Michael Penix, the Indiana quarterback, is is high on the list, and Ohio State avoided him. He was hurt uh, when Indiana played Ohio State. I don't think Indiana would have beaten Ohio State if Michael Penix Jr. would have played. But how good do you think that guy is, and how much better is Indiana when he's the guy playing quarterback for them? Oh, they're a completely different team. And, yeah, I, I don't think Indiana has the dogs to run with OSU or, you know, those Blue Bloods or Wisconsin or, you know, these, these big-name teams from uh, the Big Ten yet. I think Penix, though, is that guy that can kind of change this culture and change the team around and have the team believing in him. He doesn't, you know, he doesn't push the ball downfield too much yet. This is a guy I think he'll 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 grow into this kind of maybe this, you know, top ranking quarterback and push the ball down the field a little bit more often sooner than later or next year or even the year after that. But at this point, he's just keeping that offense on schedule. He can run with it if he's not, if he needs to. But at this point, like he's just been able to actually dissect defenses. He's got a really high adjusted completion percentage, you know, that takes out those incompletions that are outside of the quarterback's control. He's been very, very good from a clean pocket as well, which is one of those numbers that we, we lean on that's kind of a stable metric from not only week to week but year to year. And the, so that's why I had him at 16th overall. And honestly, some guys ahead of him did not fare well in the week seven. So I think uh, if I were to redo this each week, that's almost impossible because it's a lot of words and a lot of rankings. But if I were to have to move him up or move these quarterbacks around right now, he would maybe even go up into the top 10 after his performance this past weekend as well. I will say, Cam, I, I do think, and this is certainly not my theory, I think it's proven out that if you're a, a lower, if you're a smaller school like Indiana and you're trying to, to compete with the big boys and have that season where you can knock somebody off or really make a run at, at 10 wins or something like that, 
the way you have to do it is get a young quarterback and play him and play him and play him and then hope by the time he's a third year, four year starter, you have helped him grow into something that, frankly, he's probably too good for your place. And so I think I'm curious if like, you know, if Michael Penix gets too good, maybe like he'll just transfer in the portal and go to Alabama or something by the time he's a junior or a senior. But it feels like to me, if he sticks at Indiana, you know, maybe two years from now when he's a redshirt junior and Ohio State's going back to Indiana in 2021, those are the moments when Indiana maybe can say, all right, this is our one win over Ohio State in 35 or 40 years because they might have the best quarterback on the field that year. I guess th- that isn't that is that a formula in your mind of 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 if you're a team like Indiana, that's your best shot to try to knock off a, a top 10 program? Yeah, and I mean, the only thing that I think they'd have to be worried about, because it seems like he's happy, it seems like that offense clicks very well uh, so far. I mean, I think he's only got maybe three three games and three quarters in him before, you know, with the injury, but I, I do think that that's a, that's a great call, a great plan, a great scheme. Get this guy, play him often, give him the playing time if that's what he wants, and then see some sort of success, and then you can get some, some kids in here as well. So, I mean, they have another kid, Taiwan Mullen, a cornerback who is a true freshman, and right now he's dominating in coverage, and so... They have some plays, playmakers and some players that are these young kids that they can slowly start to recruit on there. But, yeah, I mean, you got to do it before uh, maybe the Lincoln Riley calls and says, hey, we need a one-year player, a quarterback, look at my track record. I'm taking these transfers. And one of Heisman and Senna is the first pick overall. So I think that's the biggest concern maybe a few years down the road. But we got we got a little bit of time uh, to watch some pretty exciting play from the Hoosiers, which is has got to be fun. I mean, I, have, I can't remember a time when – They've been excited to watch. And right now with those talented receivers and, and him at quarterback, it's been fun to watch. And I, I think that'll only help recruiting in the long haul. So we here on Buckeye Talk, Cam and I are putting everyone on alert for Ohio State at Indiana in 2021. If Michael Penix is not you in Oklahoma, watch out, baby. Um, all right. I wanted I, I, I found it particularly interesting. And again, these rankings were before this weekend's games, but they're still a great look halfway through the college football season. On your list, Michael Penix was 16. Number 17 was Trevor Lawrence. Are you shocked, surprised, stuff happens, you're not that surprised? What do you think? And I know, obviously, Clemson looked pretty good this weekend. Where are are you on Trevor Lawrence's 2019 season, and do you believe by the end of the year that he will be Trevor Lawrence and Clemson will be Clemson, or is it possible that there are some holes there? I think they're back to being who they were last year. I think we saw a, a kind of a weird lull in this sort of Clemson regime. This is now three games in a row. Uh, yes, albeit he had the scare against UNC and they stopped the two-point conversion, but he still would have had a minute and 30-plus to be able to get down and have a game-winning drive to kind of cement or have a Heisman moment at that point. But, you know, he's got a team around him, that defense, the way that they move their safeties in their middle of the field linebackers is kind of remarkable. I've actually never seen it. Uh, in my time covering college football, the way that Brent Venables is able to move that defense. But I do a little disappointed to start the season. I still think that Lawrence's interception against Syracuse, when he literally looked the the linebacker in the eyes, he's rolling out, and he trusts his arm too much to try to get a ball past or over there. Through a linebacker, he literally threw it to the linebacker's chest. Great pass if that was your receiver, but it wasn't. I still think it's one of the ugliest interceptions we've had all year. So I'm going to need a, a few more than three games against, uh, you know, North Carolina and then a porous FSU secondary before I crown him anything else. But I mean, he is kind of catching his stride and, and what I thought could be a, a, a minor speed bump is their game against Wake Forest uh, in week 10, week 11 or whatever it is. 
uh, November. Uh, now, obviously, that's changed a little bit. So I, I do think that this is a 12-0 team, a 13-0 team going to the playoff with Trevor Lawrence catching his stride. It might be might be dangerous for other teams that might have overlooked him because of this uh, beginning stretch of the season. All right, let's get to the top six quarterbacks on your list. Number six and number five both lost this weekend. Number six, you had Jake Fromm. Number five, you had Sam Ellinger. Um, obviously, Fromm has been a guy who has taken care of the ball, and that's an important part of the metric that, that you guys use, that you help base your rankings on. Um, again, what, did are you have you changed your mind on Fromm based on the way he played and their loss to South Carolina, or is that a blip? And And is Sam Ellinger at number five on your list – is is he truly as good or you know in the mix with all these other guys that we're going to talk about in a second? Obviously, Texas has two tough losses, but where does Ellinger really fit in for you? Yeah, Ellinger, I'll start there. I think he's the easy one. I still think he's kind of a top 10 kid. He's just been bested by a couple of Oklahoma quarterbacks that have gone first overall uh, in his time and his big game moments. So really no credit, no discredit to him. He still fares very well. And I think you know they may have a very real chance of going Ten and two, and then winning whatever bowl game they get. Uh, but Jake Fromm, kind of, I, so I have him at six on our rankings going into this week. He's actually overall he's the highest graded quarterback by our raw PFF grades this season going into the week. Obviously, he has a, a pretty poor outing against South Carolina, so we would move him significantly. But for me to move him, not only from you know using these, this list was was using our PFF grades very heavily, but I, I went and looked at other factors and. When you grade that high, he just essentially was avoiding negative plays. So that's why I didn't have him at number one, like our actual grades stated, and I have Joe Burrow there. But, you know, he's, he wasn't necessarily ready to believe in Jake Fromm. So six was actually pretty generous for me to keep him there. But I, I think we do need to move him down. I think that's not necessarily a blip more so than it's just kind of a, a hiccup. We have seen the ability for him to, to win games, but this was truly a loss that kind of falls squarely on his shoulders. And I think that dings him pretty pretty hard overall he'll have to to rebound with some big games through the air uh, if he wants to sort of keep it within this top 10 threshold all right so we're going to get into number four justin fields right now he was number four on your list let me ask a from question though because this is i think the kind of thing that popped up for georgia fans this weekend and ohio state fans have been a, a little uh a little taunty with this it, it is it possible that somehow some way Georgia made a mistake and that they should have found a way for Justin Fields to be their starting quarterback this year and then if that means you lose from you lose from or did they just have two really talented guys and they had a tough choice and they went with the veteran and that made total sense and if they lost fields they lost fields what is there anything that Georgia did wrong in that equation in your in your mind I don't think so just because of what we saw from from and I mean Let's remember, Fromm essentially made Jacob Eason transfer as well. So Fromm clearly is doing everything well that they're asking of him. And so unless we're really within those walls, can't really speak to the, the Fields versus Fromm situation. But, I mean, when Fields was on the field for those 173 snaps last season for Georgia, he was lights out. I know it was against very subpar competition. But, you know, I, I talked about this before the season when I had Fields ranked as a top 20 quarterback on the preseason rankings. You know, on just 173 dropbacks, when you're playing lower level contests or competition, don't you want to see him exceed and do all he can? It's not his fault. He's not getting in as much against, you know, Alabama or these other schools. So I, I do, I did like what fields, like what we saw of him. But I mean, unless we're in those walls, it's kind of hard to, to pick and choose what they did wrong. I mean, Fromm has been the biggest thorn on the side outside of Trevor Lawrence in Alabama. And so maybe that's why, I, you know, he does everything well, uh, save for the South Carolina game. So I, I do think maybe going back, you do whatever you can to keep them both in your in your building, on your roster. But 
in this day and age. I don't think that that's going to be possible for too many schools to do that. So hard to say yes or no, right or wrong in this situation. Yeah. I mean, again, I always joke, it's like too many good players. Like if that's the main problem with your program is like, we have too many good players and they can't all play. You're in pretty good shape. Um, Justin Fields, we know, again, you talked about part of your metric is avoiding negative plays. He's another guy. Most of these top quarterbacks have avoided negative plays. He threw his first pick against Michigan State. Um, what else, beyond taking care of the ball, what else have you really liked about Justin Fields? And I know you mentioned before this weekend in the raw numbers, Jake Fromm was one, but you had him at six because, again, these are your rankings leaning on the numbers, but it's not just numbers. You had Fields four. Where was he in the raw numbers, and then what have you liked about him? He was actually fifth, I believe, if memory serves, in the raw rankings. I think they've changed, and we're still going through our review process from uh, week seven action. Obviously, LSU doesn't play, so he's not going to change, but maybe he bounces up one or two spots if if from falls below him, which I think he's going to do. But what I really like about Fields so far this year is that anybody that thought he was just this running quarterback, and I mean, obviously, the first touchdown, again, this season doesn't doesn't prove anybody wrong. He's a great rushing threat, but this is a guy – who's the third highest graded passing quarterback on throws targeted at least 10 yards downfield. So that's hitting the intermediate and the deep range, and he's hitting them super well. So only one turnover-worthy pass, which is one of our negatively graded throws on those attempts downfield. So again, third highest rated quarterback. That's behind only Tyler Huntley from Utah, who only does it very seldom, uh, and Joe Burrow, who obviously is uh, Joe Burrow at this point in in his career. But, I mean, Fields is literally doing it. He's not getting a lot of help from his receivers because he's not needing to on those throws, you know, he's averaging this crazy depth of target downfield. It's over 22 yards past the line of scrimmage. He's averaging where his throw is being targeted. So this is a, this is a downfield passing threat that I don't think anybody really thought he was going to be doing that as well as he is at this stage of his, of his Ohio state career. And then this designed running game that they've, they've developed for him as well, where he's averaging, you know, 11, 12 yards to carry on designed, carries alone with multiple tackles broken, multiple first down runs. I truly think he's outside of like a Khalil Tate or even Jalen Hurts. The discussion for true best dual threat quarterback is kind of up in the air between those two, three. But if I if you're going to go outside of dual threat guys and rank those as passers, Fields gets the, the nod as a passer so far. I do think one of the things that, and you know, people, we do Heisman trackers and that kind of thing. And that's a fun thing to do. And it's all kind of made up because you're trying to get in the, in the minds of, of, uh, 900 voters who kind of don't know what they're talking about. But his raw numbers are not necessarily through the roof compared to a lot of other guys. Um, but he is seemingly incredibly efficient. They don't run him all that much. A lot of times they save him for the red zone. They save it for when it matters. Um, Again, he, you know, he, I don't think he has a, he doesn't have a 300 yard passing game yet, but seemingly like when they do take shots, it's there from your eyeballs, but also your numbers is, is his efficiency part of what makes him really good right now. Absolutely. And I mean, he's not, he's not doing very much to hurt his grade at all. So he's got very few negatively graded plays, a lot of, you know, small positives, but also equally up there. I mean, he's got huge positive plays when he does target the ball down the field. And that's kind of where it is. So he's got uh, among all of the quarterbacks in the country, we have, we have a, this metric. It's called big time throws. It's our highest graded throws. It's based upon, you know, the velocity, the tight window, the coverage, the the receiver separation, the distance downfield, the time to throw from the snap. Except so many factors go into you know, our grading, uh, but they're called big time throws just to make it easy. 
and he has the national best 15 of them on those those 10 yards down the field. So when he is literally, you know, when he's taking those shots down the field, he's doing it more often, and it's more often better than any other quarterback in the country. So 15 of them, next highest was Burrow at 13. So when he is picking his shots, he's choosing them perfectly, and he's making these throws that kind of just make you say, wow, this guy actually is this uh, potential guy who can get the ball down the field and make these kind of NFL throws as well. It's just, it truly has been fun to watch. All right, I, I want to get to like 11 more things with you. We're not really going to get to 11. You have to have a do your actual job. But I, I want to make sure we talk at least for one question about Joe Burrow, who I did not see this coming. We had Joe Burrow. We covered him at Ohio State for three years. He was a good quarterback. I thought clearly Dwayne Haskins won the competition in the spring of 2018. I didn't think there was any real doubt about that. They had to pick Haskins. It didn't feel like a backbreaking loss for the Ohio State program to have him go to LSU. He did everything right while he was here. He just couldn't beat out the guys in front of him. And that's the way it goes sometimes. I thought maybe he would have been better off going to Cincinnati. I thought maybe he was going to throw his career away with Coach O. And instead, Joe Burrow has saved LSU football, is maybe the leading Heisman candidate, is being talked around, talked about as a possible first-round NFL draft pick. And I am shocked. I cannot believe how good he is. He's number one on your list. How would you describe the way Joe Burrow has played this year? It's very much kind of like how Tua played in 2018, where any metric that we have, we and we have obviously a ton of them, any metric that you look at it and you break it down, it's almost impossible to not have Joe Burrow fielding in the top five or even the top three of any of these metrics. I mean, whether it's passer rating from a clean pocket, passer rating from a pressured pocket, passer rating with play action or without, literally every one of these numbers, deep passes, intermediate levels of the field, big time throws. He's literally leading or he's in the top five among every quarterback. He's the highest graded quarterback at this point. He's the highest graded offensive player at this point for us at PFF. And it's just, it's honestly, I think a lot of credit does go to Joe Brady, the passing game coordinator there, but Burrow is doing it all himself. We didn't really see a lot of this last year at, at LSU either. We were kind of waiting for this Mr. Ohio football from back in the day to kind of show up. And this and he never really did last season. And all of a sudden, you know, we get this Heisman-worthy performance against, uh, against Texas for them. And now we have this other Heisman-worthy performance. And so if you are looking at it, the, the Heisman recently, you know, it's going to say, we got to say it goes to the best quarterback on the best team. And uh, you know, him and two are going to cannibalize themselves when they play each other. It seems like if this is the current rate, but right now the only guy with two uh, Heisman worthy performances is Burrow. And so, you know, Mr. Ohio football, let, let's go for uh, winning the Heisman if he keeps it up, because this is, this, it's been a lot of fun to watch too. Uh, because yeah, I mean, like you said, it, it, it was the right decision to go with Haskins. It was the right decision for Joe to go somewhere else. And, you know, 2018 didn't look like it was the right decision to go to LSU, but here we are in 2019 saying this guy's the best quarterback in all of college football. So, again, it's been exciting, and, and I feel nothing but uh, joy for, for the whole Burrow clan as well. Yes, it's very nice that it's worked out, and I do think it's been nice that Ohio State fans and Ohio State players have been very supportive and happy for Joe as well. He must be a good guy in the locker room because, like, every former Buckeye loves this guy. Um Let's get off quarterbacks for the last two questions. One is you guys have a have um, a rating of the percent of the snaps that a defensive that a pass rusher gets pressure on the quarterback. I was reading through your stuff. I read through all your stuff. Uh, Chase Young getting pressure on the quarterback, 23.6% of the snaps. Um, you guys called him the most dominant defensive player in college football. What's the context of how good Chase Young has been this year and how disruptive he has been, it has been, and in your mind, how much of a of a game changer um, can a defensive end be for an elite team? 
Yeah, well, a couple things here. Thanks for reading. Do I uh, do appreciate that? <laughs> I encourage everybody. It makes it makes me smarter to read my own writing. It makes me smarter to to go through it. It makes me smarter to talk about it. I, it's a lot of fun what we do, and for me to be able to contextualize what we do with words, it's, it's been truly an honor to to kind of take on this role that I have at PFF. But uh, at defensive end, uh, you know, there was the offseason discussion on pass rush versus coverage, which was more important. And right now, I mean, we do obviously at PFF think that coverage is more important, but if Chase Young is your defensive end, he's a true game changer. This guy, yeah, not only getting pressure at a high rate, he's winning these one-on-one battles with his tackle in front of him more often than not and more often than anybody else. So, you know, 37% of these pass rushing snaps that he's gone one-on-one with somebody, he's won. He's been the better man, which a good rating for that is 10%. A great rating is 15%. An elite level is 20 And so Chase Young to be at 37 is kind of, we've never seen it before. So for me to put into context what Chase Young is doing, this is kind of like what Aaron Donald has done at the NFL level, where Aaron Donald won Defensive Player of the Year two years in a row. He's been our highest graded player every year he's been in the league, basically. Uh, This is, this is kind of Chase Young's claim to fame. You know, he makes you, makes you not miss a Bosa at all on the edge, which is kind of hard to do in in a feat in in and of itself. So Chase Young, I mean, this, at this point, if I can give the Heisman to a defensive player uh, this or any of the past 10 years, this is the guy that I'm giving it to because this guy is uh, truly a game changer. And there's, there's honestly, I can contextualize it the best I can, but this, he's setting precedents and he's setting records and he's on pace right now to, to kind of break any sort of pass rushing uh, overall grade, defensive grade, anything you look at it. Uh, he, he is truly the best player, I think, in all of college football. I mean, it really is weird. Joey Bosa is the number three pick in the draft. Nick Bosa is the number two pick in the draft. And it's like, oh, yeah, Chase Young's better. Like, you know, we have we, here in it, it it's, you know, Nick Bosa destroyed the Cleveland Browns single handedly last week. And it's like, oh, yeah, Chase Young's better. Like, it's just it's so it's so hard to wrap your mind around. But but um, I mean, it's close, but I don't have any qualms saying that, like, just he's more complete. I think he's he's more athletic in some ways. He's just as uh, elite technique wise. He has a huge motor. Um, he really does check all the boxes and we could do a whole hour podcast just on Chase Young. But I want to take one final step back with you, Cam, before we let you go. Uh, Ohio State's playing Northwestern this week. Who cares? They're going to beat Northwestern. But they have Wisconsin and Penn State left on this Big Ten schedule. The Big Ten's getting some um, some props in the polls right now. When you look at the numbers, when you just look with your eyeballs at the way Wisconsin and Penn State have played this year, do you feel like one or both of those teams can truly give Ohio State a challenge and really have a legitimate chance to beat? I might say Penn State. Can those two teams beat Ohio State? Or in your mind, are Wisconsin and Penn State still maybe a little bit behind the Buckeyes and you would firmly expect Ohio State to beat both of them? I would, I think the only one that poses the real challenge, I would say, is Wisconsin. And I, I truly believe that this is probably one of our national championship quarterfinal matchups that we have on the schedule. It's week nine, Wisconsin, OSU, and then, uh, you know, another quarterfinal in my mind would be LSU, Alabama, week 11. But I think the way that that Wisconsin defense is playing, I mean, you, you don't allow four touchdowns and score four on defense without getting some sort of praise from us here. And that's kind of what they've been able to do. But I just think that as good as Jonathan Taylor is, the banking your offense on a running back is never going to be a good thing to win you a game in a tough spot. And that would be a tough spot to come to the shoe and, and actually pull out an, what would be an upset against the best offense and arguably the second best defense in the conference behind their own defense. I think, you know, you'd have to rely on Jack Cohn to make a few plays down the field, which I don't think they'd be able to do. So 
I, I don't want to say a comfortable win for the for the Buckeyes against Wisconsin, but I do think it's a hard fought, uh, and then the score kind of, you know, maybe is a little bit more indicative of of a harder fought battle. But I, I think that this is kind of we're we're shaping up to be a, a perfect when I'm going to the Big Ten championship game. And where where can the people follow you on Twitter, Cam? It's at PFF underscore Cam. Easiest way to go to. That's uh, that's for all of our sort of. Uh, my information from our from looking at our data and then at pff underscore college is our main feed our our main source of information on twitter as well and if the and if people want to read your quarterback list and read all the i know you guys i think are i mean i know you have to be pro football focused now you're just pff but guys more for your nfl coverage if they want to really get locked in with your college coverage how much does that cost what can they read where would you kind of point people if they want to be catching up with you guys every week all of the college content currently is free, actually, which is the best part. So it's pff.com, and then it's backslash draft is the easiest way to get to all of our free written content on college. And then the rest of it is actually through our Twitter and social media channels. So it's Instagram, pff.college, and then the Twitter, and then my Twitter, and then a couple of other, other of our guys. But for the main part, it's, it's me, and it's our social media feeds. And then, uh, yeah, it's pff.com backslash draft for all of the written content. I didn't even know that because we are at Cleveland.com. We are PFF subscribers, and so I've been reading all your stuff, and I was like, man, this is really worth it. I was like, man, I could have been getting it for free anyway. It's really good. <laughs> it's really good. And again, I would really suggest you guys following along on Twitter because you guys just post interesting graphics of like random sort of – and it's not random. Like they're, it's meaningful stats contextualized, but it's just like a little hit about this, a little hit about that that's really interesting. How did you, how did you come to PFF, Cam? When did you uh, – what, what were you doing before you started working for them? Well, funnily enough, I actually worked for Digital Scout. It was a company in Columbus uh, for three years, and it was a high school sports tracking app. So we we actually did uh, sports high school sports stat tracking for football, basketball, volleyball throughout all of uh, you know mainly every high school in Ohio. And uh, that turned into this job that I had now, where I was doing just kind of you know we have we have multiple data collecting processes, and I started just doing one of those data collection processes for PFF as kind of like a side gig. Uh, and then I realized that what I was getting myself into, it was much bigger than, than even I am. And, and I was, and I ever thought it could be. And so I kind of stuck my nose in here and there and the, the knowledge kind of get, got me to where I am now. So, yeah, I mean, everybody that kind of starts at PFF has to do some form of data collection for a season at least. And so that was where I started in 2016 uh, and I uh, haven't looked back since. He's a man on the rise. He's Cam Meller. Uh, we greatly appreciate your time. That was really interesting. And hopefully we can have you back here on, uh, on Buckeye Talk sometime. Happy to be here. I appreciate you having me. All right, again, thanks to Cam uh, for his help on that. This is an interesting one, guys. This is the theoretical stuff. This is like a theoretical week because we're just not going to analyze um, Ohio State versus Northwestern very much. Although, again, it is weird. It is weird. This is a rematch at the Big Ten Championship game. It's like if you had a rematch, can you imagine in any other conference right now or most of the time here is like the rematch, Ohio State. Ten months ago, they battled for Big Ten supremacy on the turf of that state. What's the name of the stadium in Indianapolis? Lucas Oil Stadium. Of Lucas Oil Stadium. Now, Pat Fitzgerald and the Fighting Wildcats look for revenge as 27.5-point underdogs against a team that will beat them by 50. You can't even. <laughs> God, that killed my voice. You can't even fake a promo. What? Well, you can't. I mean, I mean Northwestern. And you know, 
They were 8-1 and one in the West last year. You couldn't fake a Pro Bowl for this game. Yeah, but it's not like, I mean, it's not like I was a competitive Big Ten Championship game. But they were. They won a whole, I think they have a trophy. I'm not sure. Do you get a trophy you for You don't get division? a trophy for winning your division. I bet you they bought a trophy. I, mean, they I bet bought, you Northwestern yeah, they bought, bought a trophy. Yeah, they probably got like a ring or something from like their own people. But like, the same place UCF got its uh, national championship. Yeah. Yeah. Gear. Big Ten West. Big Ten West. It's inconsistent. From Marlin in the 734. How does he spell it? M-A-R-L-O-N. Ooh. Hey there. The, uh, I covered a baseball player named Marlin. It's my middle name. Is it for real? Yeah, that's why that's how he spells it. Stephen Marlin means? Yeah. So you're E-N-O-N. No, it's Stephen. Wait, it's M-A-R-L-O-N. Yeah. Yeah. So you're, but you're, you're Stephen E-N, Marlin O-N. And yeah. you're Nathan A-N. Yes. This is really. But Jonathan hey, Cooper. This is what John, <laughs> Jonathan Cooper is Owen. Yeah. That's true. All right. We, let's do a list of that this week. I like names that end in N. I don't have any boys, but if I had a boy, I would have definitely named him a name. Well, it wouldn't have been my choice. I would have asked my wife if we could name him a name that ends in N. Like I like Dylan. I like Gavin. Kevin. So I could have also had a Steven or a Nathan. But I don't. I have, but I like sort of. I sort of do. <laughs> yeah. Again, that's what it is. You're marrying. It's like you married us, but it's like I had another kid. Although you're only five years younger than me, you don't want me. You're. I'm I could more, be your child. I literally could be either one of your children. Bill and Ari were like my kids. You're like my kid. Yeah. I'm more like your Big weird brother. cousin. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Emphasis on weird. Yeah. Yeah. Bill and Ari were like my kids. Oh my God! They they will tell you the. Yeah, I wrote a thing about, people are mad at me right now. I wrote a thing about how, like, the Browns are weird. Just enjoy it. And everybody was like, we want to murder the whole roster. <laughs> Shut up, Doug. Doug, no, this was this one. Um, thinking about how tanking has entered the college football world. Rutgers and Houston in particular. Again, the two best players for Houston are taking redshirt years in the middle of their careers. A couple of Rutgers guys who played, like, four games and their coach got fired were like, we're out, including their quarterback. And he's, this uh, Marlin from the 734 started to wonder, would it be a bad look for contending teams to not play their best players against Rutgers? Nothing good can come from going to Rutgers for Ohio State, period. Like that, I would wear that T-shirt. <laughs> Nothing good can come from going to Rutgers. <clears throat> Jim Delaney. Um, why not let Justin, J.K. Chase, and a few others just sit that one out? A form of NBA load management in I college football. Will we ever get to that point? I am all for, I'm not going to say completely sit out. I am all for they play the first quarter and go full pedal, full gas, all go. And then you go after those first, that first quarter, you look at those guys and you say, listen to me, you're going to take your pads off, you're going to put your jumpsuits on, and you're going to cheer the rest of your teammates on because your day is over, my friend. Yeah, I, I, it would not be a healthy scratch for any of those guys for me. They still have to stay active. They still have things they need to work on in game scenarios. Yes, I understand the team they play in practice is probably better than the team that they would play at Rutgers that day. The other thing to remember here is the only thing worse than Rutgers being in the Big Ten is if the Big Ten teams start treating Rutgers like they're the JV um, and and playing only second string against them and things like that. That's not good for this conference, and in, in the long run, it's not good for Ohio State if that happens. 
So I, I don't think it's going to get quite that ridiculous. I do think as we started to see the transfer thing get out of control a little bit, um, and I've never been one who actually buys into that whole thing being a problem so much because I'm, I'm usually on the player side on these things. I do think at some point the grad transfer rule has to change. I think it's just gotten to the point where it's clearly not being used for anything academic ever. It's all just an athletic <laughs> move. No, um, yeah. that, but but that was the original intent of that rule specifically. Well, it was the original excuse of that rule. Whatever, however you I want to say it. I want to be a grad student, but, and they don't have dinosaur back resource to, management here. Going back to what we were Alabama. talking, going back to what we were talking about before, I, I think that's the one thing that um, I think could. And there are coaches out there who, even ones who have really benefited from it, who are in favor of getting rid of that rule, or at least changing it so it isn't quite so blatant. I do think that there. Because it's interesting, the Houston situation is Dana Holgerson as a first-year coach suggesting to his best players that right. they redshirt. Right. The Rutgers situation is kids with no coach being like, I don't want to waste a year of my valuable eligibility on this sure. cluster. So it's complete opposite things. I think the coach deciding to redshirt his best players in the middle of the year is more problematic. I think a kid yes. looking out for his own best interests yeah. when the program he chose to attend yeah. can't stay out of its own way. I don't fault those kids. I, I mean, what if the entire, what if 65 guys on Rutgers team were like, we're redshirting. I mean, what? Rutgers is such a, cl- ah. I, 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 we're in a hallway. We're like in an echoey outside hallway. People are rolling baskets of like laundry past us. Sometimes we have trouble finding a good place to do this podcast. And occasionally the setting throws me off. Like when the guy shushed us, we've been shushed and thumbed in our last two podcasts. <laughs> so we're trying to avoid that. And it throws me off sometimes. And I, would, I felt a little thrown off at the start of this podcast. But let me tell you, when I get in to some good, hardcore Rutgers... Rutgers bashing? Bashing. It just feels right. Ugh, I feel like I'm rolling now. Let's roll on this. That's all Rutgers' fault. And, and Nathan, you made a point like it's not good for the Big Ten if Ohio State would like take, leave its five best players home. I'm very curious to see how many fans show up at the Ohio State Rutgers game. Because on one hand, if you're a Rutgers fan, why wouldn't you want to go see Chase Young and Justin Fields and yeah. see some real college football players? On the other hand, it's going to be eighty to nothing. So like, why if you're going to root for your team, that's the team. It's the it's the team with the opposing team with the best players which also means the least chance to win, although they already have no chance to win. This is on two groups of people. It's on Rutgers as an athletic department, as a football program, as an administration, and their inability to field competitive football teams when they have fielded competitive football teams in the past. The recent past. The recent past. Not the Big Ten past, but the recent right, past. Right yeah. before they got the Big and Ten. And it's, it's on the Big Ten moneymakers and Jim Delaney, who chose cable markets and Eastern fan bases and the perceived adding of New York as a Big Ten market, and they made that a priority in expansion. And, and the result is this. The result is a, an absolute bleep show, and it's embarrassing. And, and you know what? I mean, you, you said it would be bad for Ohio State and the Big Ten if they left players home. You know what would be worse for the Big Ten? If Justin Fields and Chase Young got hurt playing Rutgers. Can you? Yeah. No, that's, that, that's, I was going to bring that up as a, as a caveat on what I said. That's a fair point. I actually think that the, the, the relatively, I think the crowd might not be that bad that day because Ohio State will travel well. There's probably a big 
alumni base out on the East Coast. This is their one chance every you know ever the other year to get to actually see an Ohio State football game. I think they will be okay. The the, the worst games are when it's like Illinois at Rutgers. Like they people should be paying not to go to that game. Yeah, yeah, no, you should definitely get a twenty dollar bill if you show up for that game. But I do I do think. To your point, Stephen, I actually this sounds crazy, but in a world where Dana Holgerson is having his best players redshirt, there's one thing I get: play a quarter and then sit. Mm-hmm. But then you are getting on a plane, sleeping in a hotel, getting on another plane for 15 minutes of action, and it would be. It would apply to a very specific group of players. I'm trying to think of fancy words today, and I can't think of them. I think leaving Chase Young home from Rutgers would make sense, and it's never going to happen. I get not take. You have to take your quarterback. You take your running back. You tell Chase Young stay home, get ready, watch film, sleep late, do a workout. You know what Chase Young is going to say to that? I know. It's it's not even that. It's it's. But you don't. You're. Pl- why? You can't, what's the difference between playing him for fifteen because minutes? Because you and can't home? make it that obvious to who? Why? Because, because you're hurting Rutgers' feelings. No, are you hurting no, Jim Delaney's could, feelings. No, I don't care about their feelings. Like these are still nineteen, twenty-year-old kids, and there isn't a person who's out there practicing right now who doesn't know that Chase Young's a top three draft pick. Like this is not. Like, that's the stating the obvious. If they go out there and go, listen, guys, Chase Young's our best player. But when you start doing things like, that's special treatment. Which this program is built on special treatment, but go ahead. Right, but that's like. But it's it's special treatment not for the player. You're not doing it to protect Chase Young's draft status. No, you're doing, you're doing it, it to protect your best right. player to help well, you win a national s- championship. Which, that's special. Tre- you can't have obvious blatant special treatment. You mean like load management in the NBA when Kawhi plays They're 60 pros. games a year? They're pros. At- these aren't pros, okay. technically. Okay, okay. So let's bring that up. That's the second part of this equation. Yeah. Which, if we get to a world where guys are paid in college, I then, think this becomes. So your only, your only problem with it, is that they're amateurs. Yeah. So you can't. It's not the same. There, the investment isn't like obviously there's an investment there, but Kawhi Leonard's making twenty million dollars a year. But the, but the reason that the Raptors only played him sixty games last year was not based on his salary; it was based on his value to his team and how much they needed him to win a title. And right. that well, doesn't change, which is also shown in the fact that when we your value in the in the pro is and some of that is in how much they're paying you. We have a huge investment in this guy, so if he says. When he gets here, I only want to play 60 of the 82 games. But is that what he said or is that what I the think team it's, it's wanted a, him to do? It's a conversation. But you also well, just said that everybody on this team knows that Chase Young is the right. best player. The so you don't need is, a salary to show that. Yeah, but like there's no but like I said, they're not pros. So you are for load management. When you're talking about professionals, yes. If we ever get to the place where they get the money they deserve to get, then yeah, you do do But that. why does that change it? That doesn't change anything from the team perspective. It changes the athlete perspective. I mean, they like they're not pros, but they are pros. Everything. And oh, again, yeah. now we're in a in a thing that some people don't like this conversation. Everything about Ohio State football is professional, except for the fact right. that the players. Right. And get so, paid. because they don't get paid, there's still like that underhanging message of like whether it's stupid or not. Like we're all the the, the team mindset, and you know. 
being one and all that stuff. So you can't just leave one guy out of an 85 scholarship man roster at home. All right, leave two. <laughs> I don't know. I, I mean, I know what you're saying, and yeah. I think it's an argument. And, and I'm arguing for a thing that is never going to happen, and I understand well, that. But yeah. I'm telling you, I think the value in – I think the value in rest – and giving a guy a break and then keeping a guy healthy is if you're only going to play him 15 minutes, then just leave him home. But they're not going to do that. And no. I get it. You warm up with your team and you do the, the pregame speech. And you sing Carmen Ohio at the end. Yeah. I get it. I get it. And, and I'm the guy who always is in favor of playing guys because there's only so many. This is an extreme example. And the reason that we're even having this discussion is Rutgers because of Rutgers. Awful. Rutgers ruins ev- – I would wear that shirt. Rutgers <laughs> ruins everything. Big Ten. Rutgers ruins. Rutgers should come out that week with like warm up shirts that say "Sorry, Big Ten. Well, what if? Yeah, what if? Uh, I think Jim Delaney. They should they should put Jim Delaney at midfield and make yeah. him wear that shirt. <laughs> yeah. Where, who do you more agree with, Nathan? Me or Stephen? I more agree with you. I think. Oh! That I wouldn't. Would, no, wait. You're saying you should. They should do it, and he's saying I'm saying leave Chase Young home. Oh no, then I agree more. With you. <laughs> Sorry. I Sorry. That win. And again, I think sometimes you know we're we're like cynical jerks in the media, and we look at things in a in a kind of bottom line way. Sometimes in a way that even the players and the coaches and the personnel within a program can't really, even if they wanted to, they can't really do that. I think there's a there's a respect for the game that comes into play a little bit in a situation like this, and that's why I think you have to. The other thing you got to remember, the, the, the Kawhi Leonard example, he isn't just not playing the worst teams on their schedule. It's like they're about to play their third game in four days, and they've been traveling for the, you know, it's like their third straight away game or whatever. Yeah. Those are the games that they get a break for. It's it Fatigue is the, is the reason. And in this case, you only play one game a week. Unless you're at Houston where you play four in 13 days or whatever. So, that yeah. was insane. If anybody didn't see that tweet thread from this weekend, I didn't realize just how insane things so were So a better comparison is like how Indianapolis Colts would have these great regular seasons, and then the last week of the season they would just sit all their starters. Once they had a playoff spot yeah. locked up. Yeah. Or I once mean, they had the division that, that locked would, up sometimes. That would yeah. be, but because, like, because, like, I mean, you can't really do that in college football because, like, one loss and like your season can go down the drain, right? But except when you're playing, except when you're playing, you have play, no yeah. chance of except you're playing thing, Rutgers. You also don't want to be the coach who left Chase Young at home and then things and then, go absolutely yeah, and then, haywire and, then, and somehow no, you think Chase does something that 21 year olds do. <laughs> well, like, no, 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 I'm not even talking about that. I'm just talking about you don't want to be the guy who tempted fate that way and had a blow up in your face. Oh like, yeah, because then if you lose to Penn State, then everyone will be like, the team was torn apart when they left Chase Young yep. at Rutgers. No, I know, I know. Or not even, yeah, that's an example. There are many ways where it could go So wrong. bring them, play them for but, how, Okay, so, but, so it's like I want to leave this topic, but I don't. Because, again, it's a theoretical week because Northwestern is only slightly better than Rutgers. How could it go wrong if they left Chase Young home from Rutgers? What would, what would be the negative impact on Ohio State football? They wouldn't lose the Rutgers, but like you just said, they'll play a Penn State. Or, but, 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 okay, so... Would they actually like, lessen? Would it hurt team unity? Would yeah, it I le- think it, it. I don't know if it like puts some kind of a dagger in it, but I think it. There's no reason to interrupt cohesion and chemistry and things or, like that. Or Chase Young is that good, so we don't really know what type of flaws are on the defensive line 
because Chase Young is that good, and for some reason teams won't double him. So, in a word, let, let's just have a theory. What if Chase Young is that good that like Rutgers obviously isn't going to be good enough to win, but they're they do little things where like it at least points something out that like now Penn State can exploit that because Chase Young wasn't there. Okay, so I get the idea of. Um, not just announcing like Chase Young is not going to Rutgers because Rutgers sucks. Like I get that like Ohio State's not going to put out a and press release. And they just like accidentally forgot him at like, home. You're talking like about the Friday. The Friday <laughs> availability report is like uh, I guess it Game doesn't say. Decision. Yeah, it's like. But if they did put a thing, it's like on the no, NFL no. report, it's like questionable. It's like out. Parentheses, Rutgers sucks. No, no, yeah. no. This is so what like, you do. Like when the Braves put Mark Wohlers on the DL for, no, no. quote, inability to pitch. This is what you do. You, you Say their flight is at 6 o'clock. You tell Chase it's at, like, 7.30. And then you could say, well, Chase Young has been suspended because he was late for the flight. Well, but we're, we are really going <laughs> – we are just going out of the way to not hurt Rutgers' feelings at this point. <laughs> but, but honestly, the point that you just made, Nathan, by citing, like – uh, Atlanta Braves reliever from 20 years ago. <laughs> Mark that's, Wallers that's is such a trendy. 97 percent of the knowledge in my head is Atlanta Braves. Or he can just. Move. I mean, it's like when Steve Avery was the Braves' it's, fourth starter. It's like baseball from 1988 to 1993 is pretty much. But how often do major league teams put starting pitchers on the disabled list in the middle of the season to give them a break, two turns through the rotation with a fake injury? Right, all the time. Well, uh, a you lot know of times what? I it's let, not necessarily all, a fake injury. Honestly, they, this can all be solved if Chase just moves him out. A lot of times they'll call it, you know, <laughs> he a, just a moves dead him arm. Out, or they'll like call, this all gets solved. They'll call it a, a dead arm. They'll call it uh, some other. If, if you're feeling any kind of discomfort in your pitching arm, which they all do all the time, because it's like a horribly strenuous thing to do yourself, then they can use that as an excuse. But I don't think that's going to be. You'd have to like if if Chase Young woke up uh, having slept on his arm weird, and you. Put him on the I mean, injury report for that one week. It, he tweaked his hamstring in Thursday's practice. I mean, it's so yeah, easy. We're know, not I guess. Chase tweaked his hamstring in Thursday's practice. We were being cautious, and we decided to have him stay home and not risk the travel. I mean, it's... I mean, because the doctor said he can't fly with that type of injury. I mean, it's just... Taraji Mitchell didn't make a road trip this year. Taraji Mitchell didn't go to Nebraska. Right. He's one of their best players. He's one of their... 75 best players. He, he's, or I guess it's well, 70 for the travel roster, but he's hurt. Yeah. As far as we know. Right. Allegedly. No, I mean, I, I think Taraj actually is hurt because he would be playing. But I mean, like, I'm just saying, and he's actually been out for multiple games, but I'm just saying, sometimes hurt guys don't travel. So basically, what you're saying is, like, next time we get Chase, we should ask him, hey, Chase, are you prepared to not play against Rutgers? Yeah. Doug doesn't <laughs> want you to go to Rutgers. <laughs> Chase will be like, oh, we're going to go see a show in the city on Friday night. Um, I don't know. I just, I mean, I, I, again, this is Rutgers' fault for even bringing this up because I always, there's no such thing as like running up the score on a conference foe. We said earlier this year, and we prepared you for it when they played Miami of Ohio, that's the one game where they're not going to play starters into the third quarter. They're going to do it at the half because that's the exception to the rule. The rest of the time, these guys work too hard to not get to play. But in a world where Chase is this good, he is this needed, and, and Rutgers is an embarrassment. And I would encourage everyone listening to this to go read our coverage at NJ.com. It's a it's a an outstanding group of writers, Keith Sargent and James Cratch and Steve Politi, um, for they're part of our company, the same as Cleveland.com. They do a great job covering a terrible program, and it's an embarrassment. I mean it it, it is 
not worth Ohio State's time to go to this game. They are in such a hole. And it's, 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 I feel bad for the kids who were there, but they need more good players, but they need better administration. They need better coaching. They need better recru- recruiting and they need a better plan. It's, they're not in, they're not, they're not the University of Rhode Island. It's New Jersey. There are players all over the place there and we've written and talked about it a million times, but this is embarrassing for the Big Ten that that's who you pick to join your club. And sometimes you are, jo- you are, um, you are viewed by who the least among you is. And like, it reflects on everybody in a bad way when Rutgers stinks this bad. And they frickin' stink. And the fact that we get a tanking question, like, this is a great question for Marlon, and like, it's not gonna happen. It's not crazy. It's not like so insane that we ignored it. And why? Because Rutgers is that non-competitive that you legitimately could take Ohio State's 22 best players and leave them at home and tell Chug, Master Teague, Garrett Wilson, Josh Allaby, like all these dudes, Josh Proctor. Garrett Wilson might take home Big Ten Player of the Week. Like go, Javante Jean-Baptiste, Tommy Togiai, go beat Rutgers. You know what would happen? They would beat the living daylights out of Rutgers. Boy, that was some good Rutgers talk on Northwestern Week. What are we going to talk about Rutgers Week? <laughs> we should talk about Northwestern during Rutgers Week. We're only going to we're going to talk about Penn State, Michigan Rutgers Week, I guess. Um, this is also from Marlin with the uh, burrito bowl style Mexican restaurants gaining prominence in America. What's your favorite? Qdoba, Chipotle, Moe's. We've had uh, fast casual Mexican conversations on this podcast before. They are always enjoyable. Some people in this world think Chipotle is overrated. Um, it is. Certainly it is the go-to for a lot of people, and Stephen Means has interjected already with yeah. his slander of Chipotle. Uh, listen, I think Chipotle was great for a while. I think they've gotten lazy. Um, they give you minimal chicken. Like I used to be able to go when I was in high school and go in and like get double chicken without paying for the double chicken. Just That's just me. stealing. It's not stealing if I say, hey, can I get a little bit more chicken? And because they like me as a human being, they give me double chicken for so, free. So if they don't do that, now you're going to slander them don't because go they're back, not giving yeah, you free chicken? Listen, you can't give me something and then take it away. It doesn't make any sense. See, I'm, I'm a big fan of Moe's because yeah. I'm all about efficiency and economy. And Moe's, you can get the guac and yep. the chips with, without an extra charge. See? Now, if they you randomly, get them yourself, right? You get them on the, you get them on like on the side, right? Yeah. yeah. Now, if they randomly started charging you for chips and guac, you'd be a little annoyed. Well, I just wouldn't go there. But but Moe's, that is a that's, po- that's a menu policy. Chips and guac are free. It was not a menu policy at Chipotle that said give Stephen a little extra chicken at no charge. All right. I will I'm say, the barbacoa at Chipotle is the best meat of any of those places. That's it's fantastic. Do you guys, when you go to those places, do you vary your order and get like you get twenty different things? When you walk in, you don't know what you're in the mood for, no. or do you get the same thing every time? I get the same thing. Sometimes I used to get, I used to kind of mix between chicken and steak at Chipotle, but once I found barbacoa, there was no going back. T-shirt. Once I found barbacoa, <laughs> there was no going back. On the back of the T-shirt, Rutgers ruins everything. Fuck, I talk except uh-huh. barbacoa. Even Rutgers can't ruin Chipotle's barbacoa. I feel like their their barbacoa isn't as good. I just think anything that has to do with Rutgers right now isn't good. There's a question from uh, Tyler B. in the 937. Uh, He's asking about Zach Harrison's recruitment and the idea that it felt like it was going towards Michigan's way. And then um, 
at the end it flipped sort of after Urban Meyer announced his retirement and Ryan Day took over. Um, and what happened there? Was that coincidental or um, Tyler was asking, did it have to do with the coaching transition, the Zach Smith situation? Um, my understanding is that, that, and I think it's reasonable, that some of that stuff that happened last year with the Zach Smith situation and the uncertainty around Urban and the headaches and everything else did maybe plant some doubt in the mind of the Harrison family. They had real relationships and a real affection for Michigan. They viewed it as a real option. And then once the coaching thing changed, um, I think it did have a positive effect. And the other thing that I think is, is has to be taken into account here is obviously we've talked about how Zach Harrison had a great relationship with Greg Madison and Al Washington. And they both ended up here, but that was after he got here. Larry Johnson closes. Yeah. When you have a defensive lineman that Ohio State is in the mix for, but it feels like they may not be getting, it is not over until Larry Johnson like gets to the end of his season. And he's a great recruiter all the time, but they send in Larry Johnson at the end and give the full court Larry Johnson press. And man, that thing wins. It won Tyreek Smith over. It won Zach Harrison over. And so I don't think you can get a full read on any recruitment involving a top-shelf defensive lineman that Ohio State is recruiting until December. Until you really, because sometimes they end up saving Larry. It's like you see the thing, Larry Johnson's at a kid's basketball game. And once Larry Johnson is at your basketball game. You're coming. He's got you, man. So I think all of this, there was some stuff, I think maybe the or the urban Zach Smith stuff, I think maybe affected the Zach Harrison recruitment as much as any recruitment last year of guys they got. But you cannot ignore the power of Larry Johnson at the end of a recruitment. I, still, I think that was a big thing, too. But the other part of this, Tyler, question I think is interesting. It's early for sure, but what's the chance that Justin Fields stays for his senior year? So he's a sophomore now. He's a junior in 2020. He would be a senior in 2021. What is the percent chance that we're putting on it at the moment? Five. Just yeah, like most. His reasoning for being here is more like regardless of the where he is as far as NFL talent at this moment, his whole reasoning for being here is this is a two-year agreement to come learn from the guy who just threw a – who just coached the guy who threw 50 touchdown passes, and he knows that guy, and he vouched for Ryan Day. He's here to learn from Ryan Day for 24 months and then go get drafted. Guys come in with plans, and guys are getting more forthright with laying out their plans. The Boses came in with three-year plans. Chase Young came in with the three-year plan. Justin Fields came in with the two-year plan because year one was at Georgia. So, yes, Things can change your plans, but man, like something would really have to go wrong health-wise or performance-wise to affect that because it's your plan, and it's a good plan. And we'd be seeing it right now where it's like, oh, yeah, he's probably going to have to stay here another year. But he's not looking like a guy who's stagnant in his development. No. He actually looks like he's ahead of schedule with his development. Well, yeah, and not only does he look ahead of his schedule, but he's also got – the things he'll gain from the most are still ahead of him. He still hasn't played Wisconsin, still hasn't played at Michigan, still hasn't played Penn State, still hasn't played in a Big Ten championship game, still hasn't played in the college football playoffs. All of those things are ahead of him just this year where he gets to go out and potentially prove himself and then possibly next year do it all over again. And if this team, you know, we talked last week for people who follow us week to week about the 2019-2020 comparison, which one is more likely for Ohio State to win a championship. If Ohio State comes back and does this all again next year, 
a lot of it, I think, the credit will be given to Justin Fields for kind of being the guy who elevated a team that otherwise had some questions or whatever. Like, the only thing is, I, I, like, for instance, and you just don't even want to talk about this kind of stuff, but Braxton Miller was going to go pro after the 2013 season, and then his arm got ripped off in the Orange Bowl. And then he wound up staying two more years because he was hurt then before 2014, hurt the shoulder again, and then came back and played receiver in 2015. So, you know, that can factor into it. And the other thing is, like, if Jack Miller or C.J. Stroud replaces Justin Fields at halftime of the 2020 National Championship game, then maybe things will change. But, like, let's uh, – Justin, if (laughs) – it's – this is a hypothetical here. Yeah, I mean, are you worried that a true <laughs> freshman is going to come replace you at the halftime of the national championship? How and then throw a touchdown pass to win that said national championship. And if you did transfer again at that point, where might you transfer <laughs> to? Are you going to the Big 12? <laughs> again, it's a, it's a hypothetical theoretical week here on Buckeye Talk because Northwestern cannot hold our interest. He's, he's going to be at Ohio State for two years and then he's going to go. Yeah. John, uh, Josh Salisbury. In the 419 says, if you were Ryan Day, who is the one team you would most want to avoid in a potential college football playoff matchup? I think we've talked about this before. I, I, like nobody stands out um, to me as as like a just absolutely frightened you. Um, the 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 caveat remains: when you play in the Big Ten, you do not face great quarterbacks, but they are going to face two great quarterbacks if they make the playoff. Yeah. Whether it's Jalen Hurts or Joe Burrow or Trevor Lawrence or Tua Tonga-Bailoa or Jake Fromm gets it back together or whatever. Justin Herbert, if Oregon somehow is next, sneaks back. Everybody that's in the mix has a great quarterback. So they're going to have to face one of those. And, and it felt like maybe Clemson got it together. And, and Cam in the previous interview talked about that a little bit. If Clemson got it together a little bit, I mean, Clemson has athletes all over the place. And a quarterback at his top end that yeah. has proven he can take apart. Great defenses, so it's weird that like right now, where do, where are you ranking Clemson right now, Nathan? You know, it's been there's been a fluctuation really. Um, I had them third this week, but really three through six for me are pretty tight right now. Between I have Ohio State one, Alabama two, and then Clemson, Oklahoma, LSU, Wisconsin. After that. So, I mean, I think uh, there are other people out there on their ballots and different people. You could definitely make a case that Clemson shouldn't be in the top four right now. Certainly. Oh, yeah. You could make a case. Yeah. I've seen them as low as, like, what, seventh or eighth? Yeah. Some people have them pretty low, and I, I understand why. But I also understand that they looked, like you said, pretty good this past weekend going down and, and, and whooping up on Florida State. And I also feel like you have to – sometimes you have to try to gauge best you can when a team might be overachieving and when a team might be underachieving relative – to its talent level at a certain point of the season. That can be tough to do. It's why it's better to just go by the actual results that you see in front of you. But I I, I feel like Clemson is better than what they were showing through the first four or five games of the season. But I think just to answer the question, like you touched on it, I mean, no matter who they face, it's going to be like a top-tier quarterback. But there's only two of those teams that also have like these top-flight NFL-wide receivers, and that's Clemson and Alabama. Alabama, like Judy's the best wide receiver in the, in the, in the country right now, and he's a top-five pick. Justin Ross and T. Higgins over at like no, Alabama and Clemson also has the the wide receiver talent to match the arms that are throwing the ball to them. So I would put them first. The other thing I would say is um, I'm actually the, the matchup that I would want less if I were Ryan Day 
is what other teams potentially have a defense that is at or near Ohio State's level? Because some of the all these teams can put up points, um, but a team like Oklahoma, I'll take Ohio State in a shootout against Oklahoma. I think Ohio State can outscore Oklahoma yeah. because I don't think Oklahoma's defense can stop Ohio State consistently. And I kind of think that might be true of LSU, but we'll see. Um, I mean, LSU keeps winning these games, but tends LSU, to have to score a lot of points yeah, to LSU do it. Still has like. Probably the roughest schedule of all the teams that we're talking about. Yeah, so but I, they're not but guaranteed. Not taking that there. right, not taking that into account. Just of the theoretical teams okay. that they could play. Um, so I would say that I, I mean either Alabama or Clemson are the two right now that I think might potentially give Ohio State a tougher game. And the other one, people are going to mock me. You can send your tweets now. There are certainly scenarios where Georgia gets back into this. They're another team that I think is better oh, than the results. Yeah. Of this show. If Georgia wins out, they're in the playoffs. Yeah. Most likely. Yeah, I mean, because they'll have to beat either Alabama or LSU. They'd be the SEC, SEC champ. Yeah. Right. A one-loss SEC champ is in the playoff. Correct. So and that's another team that has a lot of defensive talent. I will say, I had a stat the other week for the D'Antonio thing. There's only a couple, I can't remember what it was, but in the last, whatever, since the Trestle era, only a handful of coaches who had beaten Ohio State twice. And the only guy who's beaten Ohio State twice without a loss to him is Dabo. And, and I will say that version of Clemson, and I feel like we did, it was funny to cover that Orange Bowl after the 2013 season. Ohio State loses the Big Ten Championship. Instead of the national championship game, they wind up in the Orange Bowl against Clemson. Chad Morris is making a million dollars as a coordinator. Taj Boyd is the quarterback. They have all, Sammy Watkins is at receiver. They have all these receivers. And it was like a peak. That was like the, Clemson on the way up right before they peaked, yeah. right before – actually, it's they were two years away from peaking because in 2014 they didn't make the playoff, right. but then tw- they've made oh, it every year since. Yeah. But that was like a close-up version. It was like, oh, Clemson. I did a story about how they hand out – they hand out $2 – their fans bring $2 bills to bowl sites, mm-hmm. and they stamp a little tiger paw on them to show people that, like, Clemson fans travel and look, your business made money off Clemson fans. It was like, oh, a cute little $2 bill story about this like little upstart program that's coming back in. And then it was like they turned into a monster. There is a version. That, that version, their skill, their skill guys sometimes, whether it's Sammy Watkins, whether it's Mike Williams when in the 2006. And they have a dude who can throw it. Oh, yeah. And Taj Boyd wasn't as good as Deshaun Watson, and then, and like maybe Trevor Lawrence. I mean, it's, it's hard for any quarterback in college to be as good as Deshaun Watson, but Trevor Lawrence is continuing that. Like that is a scary matchup for Ohio State, just because they are going to test you. And the way Clemson now is recruiting, they've got it on both sides because they're recruiting on both sides. They have the number one quarterback in the country committed to them right now. The, the reason that I put the other reason that I put Alabama Clemson up, not just the, the defensive acumen. But because which of those, which of the coaches that we're talking about have proven themselves to be upper echelon? Not, not just really, really good. Like Kirby Smart, I think, has done a really, really good job at Georgia. Like really, how many ever, however many reallys you want to put in front of that? But the Saban and Sweeney are that next step up from that. And the thing that we also have not seen is Ohio State has not played Alabama when Alabama is not playing a running back at quarterback. Like, right. of all the things, that we all know Alabama was winning national championships with A.J. McCarron and, and guys like that, not great quarterbacks. But Blake Sims was about as bad of a quarterback as you'll see on an elite team ever. And 
to face an Alabama team that is an Alabama Saban team, but oh, by the way, the quarterback yeah. might be the number one pick in the draft, is a world that Ohio State fans are not familiar with. Yeah, I mean, just go listen. Every other week, there's some kind of answer in these Tuesday press conferences, or I guess it was Monday this week, about what Justin Fields does against this defense in practice and how impressed they are with him and how tough it is for this defense that's loaded with NFL guys to defend an offense led by Justin Fields. Well, guess what? Justin Fields is a is a great player in college football in a tier that few people are in, but he is not a singular player in college football. The other teams that have a player like him are the players we're talking about in this conversation, the kind of quarterbacks that could finally put pressure on this defense instead of just constantly facing pressure from this defense. And I will say, I mean, in conclusion on this, Ohio State can play with anybody. Yeah. And, I, and I think Ohio State's a pick them against – I mean, like, I don't, think, I don't think they would be an underdog to Alabama. I don't think they would be an underdog to Clemson. I think they would be favored against LSU and Oklahoma and Georgia. But in a national championship game, the way Ohio State is playing and the way Alabama is playing and the way maybe Clemson is starting to play, I think those three teams, again, because they are the three teams, I think, with the most raw talent, LSU, Joe Burrow is dragging that program to where they are. They certainly have some skill – but they don't have one through twenty-two. They're not at the level of Alabama, Clemson, and Ohio State. And they can't defend the pass to save their life. <clears throat> so I mean, there are things that's like you know, Ohio State with its talent and now a dynamic quarterback is elevating itself back to that top tier. But I still think when you go one through twenty-two and all your starters and you look at recruiting, I still think that top tier is probably three teams, and Ohio State is back in that top tier. So they shouldn't be afraid of anybody. But also, like we are, we are certainly not at like. Clemson, oh, no prop. Like, that's not what it would be even. How do you keep your screen from stop to stop going to a I uh, don't. You got to do it in the settings, and I'll show you all. No, I'm aware of the settings, but our settings are set up such that you have to be an admin, at least on the computer oh, yeah. that I was yeah. given. You have yeah. to be an admin in order to. So mine is constantly doing that, too, where it just goes to the sign-in screen, so. What are you going to do? Right. First world problems. Uh, Mike from Orlando. Oh, I want to get into a thing. We're going to keep it a little shorter this week. Um, we have metrics now where we can see all the different countries that people listen in. Huh. So maybe we're, I've been wanting to run through that. Here, this uh, theoretical, hypothetical uh, three quarters of a bye week against Northwestern might be a time to do it. Mike from Orlando, is this year and next year the best chance Ryan Day will have to win a national championship? Which is basically a question of can Ryan Day recruit at the level that Urban Meyer recruited at to be an elite team that is a national championship contender every year? Because right now, 2017 class, which is leading this team, was number two in the country. 2018 class was number two in the country. 2019 was a little dip. It was a smaller class anyway, also some transition. But their 2020 class, I think, right now is third. Is that right? Correct. They're third right now? Yeah. So, you know, it, it's a recruiting question about whether you think Ryan Day can keep this up. I do. And even the 2019 class was a little dip for a lot of different reasons. But I think they got – like, Garrett Wilson's playing right now. And Zach Harrison's playing right now. Harry Miller is going – like, Josh Myers is playing so well that Harry Miller can't get on the field. But he could easily be the starting center if they needed him to be the starting center. It might not be as deep as the 2020 class is or the 2017 class was or the 2018 class was, but there's enough there and there's going to be enough guys from the 2020 class who are going to be playing right away that, like, they'll be okay that when this 2020 class is sophomores and the 2019 class of juniors, I don't think there's going to be a dip-off as far as whether or not they're competing on a national level. But the idea, when Ryan Day is here for six years and there's not a single player on this roster who has ever heard of Urban Meyer. Right. 
And maybe Urban Meyer's gone. You're not like Ryan Day is just here at Ohio State doing his thing. He's lost some staffers. He's had to hire new guys. He will be competing for national championships and contending just as much as they are right now. Yeah. He's not, he's not, he's not doing it like Urban Meyer's doing it. He's selling, he's doing what he has to do to get these recruits and it's working. He's selling them on the actual school and not just, hey, come play for me the way Urban Meyer could. Yeah. I think the, the big question in all this is, is Urban Meyer coaching somewhere? As we've talked about on this podcast before, is Urban Meyer coaching somewhere? And if so, who did he take with him from this current support staff? Um, those are just really important things that get overlooked sometimes. Although we, again, we've talked about them kind of ad nauseum, but, if, if he comes in and really guts the support staff to go build his own staff at wherever, um, that makes it tougher for Ohio State to keep winning at that level. So I, a lot of coaches win national championships with players from the guy before them. Urban Meyer won with Ron Zook's players. Jim Tressel won with John Cooper's players. Um, it, the list of, of second-year head coaches who – there was a time when every national championship was won by a coach in his second year. So, like, this is if, – if Ryan Day would be doing it with, with Urban Meyer's guys, that's not a slam. That's just – you've still got to do it. Um, I certainly don't think – I think to say this is his best chance would imply that you don't think he could do it again. I, I, I just – I'm not sure you can 100% assume it um, because – of all the things that Urban Meyer did, and we've said it again, structure and recruiting, I mean, they went everywhere and went after everybody. And, and, and I get it. Like, Ryan Day is continuing that. That is really hard to do. And they have not always done that here, not to that level. And so... To be fair, he doesn't have to do it in 2021 as hard. Yet. No, but it's, but it's not even... It's just, it's just the idea of in 2024. Yeah. Like, and when it's... Well, will Ohio State in 2024 be signing one of the three best classes in the country, or will they be signing the eighth best class in the country? Because if Ryan Day hits a stretch where they sign the ninth best class, the sixth best class, and the twelfth best class well, in three yeah. consecutive years, be, you are going to have a much harder time winning a national title. Yeah. And you're still good, and you still are probably the best team in the Big Ten, and you're still doing a great job, but it just got harder to win a national title. Again, we're talking about that Urban Meyer went out every day and won head-to-head battles against Nick Saban and Dabo Sweeney mm-hmm. and every school in Florida and every school in Texas and took advantage of opportunities, and they're keeping that going. I, I wouldn't deny it, but I don't think we can assume it. Here's a different way to ask the same question. So here's, here's a bet you can take. Ohio State wins a national championship this year, or Ohio State wins a championship the field of the rest of Ryan Day's coaching career. What's more one or the likely? Other. Which one would you put money on? I would put money on 2019, and it's not because I don't think Ryan Day could win it again someday, but what do you have right now? You've got potential top five, top ten picks in both on your D-line and in your secondary, and NFL guys all over this defense. You've got down-ballot Heisman guys, two of them on offense. I don't think that's I, there's a just, There's just more here right now, and you're already 6-0. And you've already been crushing people. We're you saying, know what you have right now. But we're now. also saying that knowing what's going on in this situation, we don't, like, who says that this won't be the case in 2025 or maybe? Well, that's, maybe, that's the maybe, question. Right. So, like, it's easy to say, like, like, oh, yeah, we'll take 2019 because it looks like they're going to be a playoff team and maybe compete for a national championship because, obviously, they got that's the best team. That yeah. is easy to take that. That's why yeah. I would take that because it's so, it's so very likely that it could happen this year relative to but that doesn't what take you know away from it happening later, whether it will happen later on or not. It's just saying that right now, 
that barring some crazy epidemic happening, they're probably getting into the playoff this year. Yeah, I, the, the thing that most interests me about Ryan Day's future, a lot of things interest me. Um, he has gotten a lot of credit. It's weird. Does it feel like, I mean, I feel like every time I, I raise a, eh, about Ryan Day, it feels like I'm criticizing him. And, like, I'm not, there's nothing to criticize. There's nothing. I, there's nothing. No. There's nothing. There's I, nothing. I think your points are there's all. There's nothing. No, it's not. But your points that you were making are all fair. I think where he is, like, showing how good he is is in things that aren't waiting on, like, something Urban Meyer already did. And the way that, like, 2020 class talks about him more than it is, like, what he's doing with, like, Urban Meyer's players right now. So I just – I talked to another person here at Ohio State today, and I just was asking about how they thought the guys were playing, and they just mentioned, like, hey, they're just playing so, like, free and loose, and they're not and, – and, and was just the kind of comment that – they didn't say it, but it sort of felt like maybe guys were a little more wound up under Urban, yeah. um, and they're just a little more relaxed under Ryan. So what's going to happen is – at some point this year, next year, two, year, three years from now, four years from now, whenever, there's going to reach a point where something goes a little bit wrong and everybody's going to say, is Ryan Day too easy on these guys? Yeah. Because that's how it always happens. Because when you have a high-strung coach and something goes wrong, people say he's, he's too, too hard, hard on him. When you have a, a guy who – and it's not that Ryan Day is easy on him, but he's really nice. I think they relate to him. And if he's not like Urban Meyer in that way, then everyone's going to say he doesn't. he can't get people to kick in the butt. It's going to happen. The thing I'm most – Wondering about. He's getting a lot of credit right now for the hires of Jeff Halfley and Greg Madison and Matt Barnes and Al Washington and reshaping this defensive staff with absolute, which absolutely needed reshaping. Mm -hmm. Five years from now, Larry Johnson's not going to be here. He's going to retire. He's no, he's not going to coach until he's 73 or whatever. I mean, like the, the man is as good as it gets. And I, then what I, happens with the defensive line recruits? And it, maybe in five years, Brian Hartline won't be here because Brian Hartline might be an NFL receivers coach or a coordinator or something. Brian Hartline's right. on the rise. Brian Hartline made a lot of money in the NFL. This He loves it here. Maybe he'll be happy here. He also might want to be a head coach. The, it's the second level of guys. Urban hired a great staff at Florida. It got a little loose when guys left, when Dan Mullen left. He hired a great staff here. Got a little loose when guys left. That's going to be the test for Ryan Day when Jeff Halfley leaves. And I don't think Jeff Halfley is leaving anytime soon. I, I would bet up. I think it's 100% Jeff Halfley's back in year two. And there's a Jeff Halfley question that we may or may not get to. But at some point, Ryan Day is going to have to hire the next level of guys. He hasn't even gone. I mean, or he's going to have to hire a whole staff of his own. And he hasn't had to do that yet. And that'll be a test because he's not going to go 10 for 10 on those hires. Nobody does. And then what? And so it's all the stuff that, like, people are criticizing Urban for now. Ryan Day is going to have to face, and he hasn't necessarily had to face it yet, which is why a lot of times in the transition, what happens? Why did all these coaches win national titles in year two? Because they kept the best of what the old coach had, the best recruits, a couple of the coaches that were getting it done, yeah. a couple of the traditions and the things that made sense, and they added the best, all their fresh new ideas that they're raring to go, and you get the old best and the new best. And then eventually, sometimes you get to year seven, and people, and you leave, and even though you're one of the best five coaches in college football history, people are glad to see you go. Think about what Ohio State fans felt about Urban Meyer in 2012 and what they felt about him in 2017, right? They thought yeah. it was a miracle. It's not 
They thought it was a miracle worker, a miracle drop from the heavens guy in 2012. And by 2017, they were like, or 2018, they were like, eh, maybe Ryan Day, eh, 2019 so, is like, yeah, Ryan Day's better. So, so that's what Ryan Day is going to face someday too. I think what it's kind of boiled down, like Larry, like we just talked about how Larry Johnson is like the closer. He's the sure thing. Like if you bring Larry Johnson and he's probably, that kid's probably <laughs> coming to your school. And right now, like, there's a bunch of D linemen who are here because of Larry Johnson. So like So what do you do? When so what do you do when like your for sure thing goes? Is Al Washington gonna step into that role and become like the new Larry Johnson at this school? Is They're trying to make him into that. Yeah, uh, like, and maybe they will. Because it, it's it's like like there is only one Larry Johnson in the world and like everybody doesn't have him. So what happens when you become like everybody else? I think it's more of that than it is like the second level. It's just more like when you have guys on your staff who can for sure get that five-star player to come play for you, and he's no longer here, then what? We're not going to get to everybody. From the 484, at the midway point, which Buckeyes are playing at an all-Big Ten level? I thought this was a really good question. <clears throat> well, the well, obvious First ones. team, first team all-Big Ten. Chase uh, Young. Chase. So let's start on one side of the ball. Which side of the ball do you want to start? Defense. 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 Chase Young is one. Jeffrey Okuda. Two. We're talking about first team All Big Ten. Yep. Jordan Fuller might be playing at a first team All Big Ten level. All right, three. Maybe. You, you get. Are, 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 is there strong and free safety? There'll be two safety. Yeah, be two safety team, spots. Yeah, yeah maybe. Uh, Malik Harrison. I'm not pinning him in. Maybe. But, okay. I think what's tricky a little bit is depending on who's voting. There can be a difference here between media and coaches voting too, because none of those linebackers are going to put up like. Yeah, that's stats. the uh, like. I think Sean is kind of in that same boat. Where like we know how good he's playing, but like I don't think Sean will because I think there's going to be two corners yeah, two on corners. first team, yeah. and he's he's not even considered one of the top. Even though there's all three of those guys. Maybe. Are, and I literally could not. Can you guys name one Wisconsin defender? Is Chris, does Chris Borland still play for Wisconsin? I don't know. Um, the linebacker. Um, yeah, see Zach. that guy. I don't know. And no offense to him, but he's probably one. Like, Wisconsin hasn't yeah, given up yeah. any points. So it's like Joe Bocci, that guy, and They've then maybe Harrison. They've got a good safety, too. All right, um, so three or four maybe on defense. Yeah. Chase and Okuda for sure. Maybe Fuller. Maybe Malik Harrison. Yeah. Offense. Justin. Justin for sure. J.K. J.K. But I guess I'll take two running backs, right? But, yeah, if there's if two, they running take backs, two running backs, J.K. two running backs, J.K. will be one of them. Um, Josh Myers? Somebody from this offensive line. And I think Wyatt it depends. Davis? I, Wyatt, I think it, yeah. it might be Josh Myers because there just aren't a lot of great centers out there, frankly. And I don't know who Wisconsin's offensive linemen are. I don't know any players from Wisconsin besides Jonathan Taylor. Yeah, but it'll be at least two but of them. Yeah, but <laughs> just it'll be like, the same guys that Wisconsin's been putting on all yeah. the 10 teams. Some six foot six, 340-pound yeah. guy from Wisconsin. Is there uh, a wide receiver that we can argue? No, I don't think there is. What about uh, Drew Chrisman? Oh, yeah, Drew yeah. Chrisman. Well, I mean, how much has he punted this year? That's well, that's what's hurting him a little bit. <laughs> is that but, like he's doing exactly what they would but love when to he happen does, with their punter. He does it better than anybody else. Oh well, yeah, or as good as anybody. But else. when you're this good of an offense, like and your punter gets the bench warm, the way everybody wants their punter to bench warm. Ryan, have you ever thought about giving Drew more opportunities <laughs> to really show what he can do? Oh, like second and two. Um, let's see. This is another good one. People like this. What are your percent odds on each of these guys leaving for the NFL after this season? We won't get percent odds. We'll say yes or no. Okay. Um, he is particularly worried about the offensive line. This guy's saying, I know we're losing Jonah Jackson, Brandon Bowen, and Josh Allaby, 
but I'm increasingly worried that these three guys might start shooting up draft boards. So the issue is that Wyatt Davis and Josh Myers are both redshirt sophomores, mm-hmm. so they've been here three years. They could go. I wouldn't be surprised if Wyatt Davis goes. So Thayer Munford, he's a true junior, so he's also been here three years. Thayer right. Munford, stay or go? Uh, I, feel, I feel like all of our answers are going to be long pauses. Well, you know, here's, no, here's, no, no, because no, like, like that's a, a real long. I think I, I'll for Wyatt, I'll say go. For Thayer, I don't know. I think I think the injury factors into Thayer. Yeah, but which yeah. way does it factor in? Sometimes yeah. guys get hurt and they're like, man, I already got hurt. I better go now while the getting's good. Or, or he might want to say, I want to show after a full year of health what I can look like. So he is a clear like pause situation. I will say um, the other thing to factor in here, and not to get too out in the weeds, but like if if you have a chance of what to, to stay or go, and you're not going to be a first or second round pick, then things like how deep is the draft at your position do come into play. So if there's this happens to be a crazy heavy year on tackles or guards, then maybe that factors into those decisions. I will also say I sat down with with um, Josh Myers today, and he I was talking to him specifically about this idea between the center and the guard, because we've always kind of assumed that maybe he would move out of the way to guard and, and give up center potentially to, to Miller next year. But he thinks of himself as a center now and, and kind of wants to stay there. And I think partially it might be because of what he sees as a potential future there. Yeah, so that that, that's now. interesting. That, yeah, he says that now. If they tell him next year, <laughs> yeah, hey, like, like our best center. team is with yeah. you at left guard and him at center, he maybe he acquiesced. I don't know. But um, it, it's interesting to, to kind of talk to him about those sort of things today and how he sort of sees himself now as a legitimate center. I don't, I'm trying to think. I mean, again, there have been a lot of redshirt sophomores that have gone. I don't know how many redshirt sophomore offensive linemen have gone. I mean, oftentimes when you're a lineman, if you're, as we said, if you're not Orlando Pace, sometimes, I mean, if you're not Orlando Pace or you're not desperate, you don't start. A lot of times you end up redshirting. So, like this, Wyatt Davis and, and Josh Myers are going to start for like one year in college and then, and then go. I, I think I would be surprised by that. Thayer is maybe a little more on the table just because this is his second year as a starter. But again, a lot of good offensive linemen have stayed here for a decent amount of their eligibility. A lot of people were surprised that Michael Jordan went last year, and I think he ended up being a fourth-round pick, but he's also a starter right now. So a lot of times also on the offensive line, sometimes you think, well, if the guy's not a first-round pick, he's not going to go. If you're a guard, you're not going to be a first-round pick if you're not Quentin Nelson. So if you feel like you've shown what you can show, then go, because you're going to be a third-round pick anyway, now or later. So why it just seems to be showing a lot, and like people from a national standpoint are starting to like notice it. I mean, it's a family but, things factor in as well. Yeah. I mean, I know like Wyatt Davis's dad is like an actor, mm-hmm. you know, and like his dad, his grandpa is a <clears throat> Hall of Fame NFL player, and they have a music business. And like sometimes, if your family needs it, sometimes that you know Wyatt Davis can make a decision that is has he doesn't have to worry about family yeah. influence right. at all. So that could be part of that too. Um, I don't know, and they, a lot of these guys want to get their degrees. I mean, that does matter. I think. I think Wyatt Davis, one, I think like his family cares about that. And, and all families care about it. It's just but like where does it come like, up in the pecking yeah, order? In a world where you're not worried about the financial situation, you can put it a little higher. Wisconsin, right. Wisconsin has a center named Tyler, how do you pronounce it? It looks like badass. Does it end with a Z? Yes. Yeah. Um, who has been... Badaz? Yeah, well, however you pronounce it. And has been, well, the best center in the Big Ten oh, in the guy. last yeah. couple of years. And he's still in college, <laughs> is what I'm saying. Like he's been... But he's yeah, been, yeah, yeah, I remember him. Yeah. He's been like clearly 
one of the best in the Big Ten, if not the best in the country at center the last That's couple of years. That's a good guy. And guy. here he's still here in, in the Big, you know, still I, playing. And so. it's, I, I'm not trying to offend Wisconsin people, but it's like Wisconsin linebacker X, Wisconsin offensive lineman X, Wisconsin running back X. It's the same thing as saying like Ohio State cornerback X. Yeah. Ohio State linebacker X, it's like, whatever, I don't know. Like, they're good. It's not, yeah. it, it, I'm not dismissing them because they're not good. I'm dismissing them because, of course, they are good. Um, with Wisconsin next week and Pat Fitzgerald being a great defensive schemer and coming off a bye, I think a lot of people thought this could be a dangerous game. Is it more the play of Ohio State so far or the all-caps atrociousness of Northwestern that has eased that concern? Is it more that Ohio State's so good or Northwestern so bad? Both. I think it's true. more that Northwestern's so bad. Ohio, yeah, Northwestern, I mean, seriously, the, the offensive numbers that Northwestern is putting up this year are uh, whatever's worse than anemic. I Their mean, defensive numbers aren't all that Their defensive either. numbers are okay. I think the defensive numbers are probably also hurt by the fact that their defense is just on the on field, the field for 58 game. minutes a game or whatever it is right now. But, no, like I, I said this stat earlier in the game. Like Justin Fields has a quarterback rating of 180-whatever-it-is, and their combined Northwestern's quarterbacks are 79, like just under 80. So 100 points better in rating for Justin Fields. Like I know he's good, but that's insane. And, and part of the issue, and, and Northwestern won 8-1 last year. Clayton Thorson was a three-year starter at quarterback. He's an NFL backup now. But they brought in this five-star transfer from Clemson. There were two five-star transfer quarterbacks in the Big Ten this year. Justin Fields is one. Hunter Johnson is another. And Hunter Johnson has been awful. So that's the thing of like, oh, it was like Northwestern was losing this veteran quarterback. And you thought they might get better at quarterback. And their quarterback play has dropped off the earth. So like that is the thing that I think has been the most surprising part of Northwestern's struggles, that they got this dude who you thought would be good and stinks. And Nathan, you may lean in and say it now if you'd like to. Yeah, I mean, he was a five-star guy. Like, you, he had to come in and lead him to a Big Ten West championship just, just based just on the just, just based what, on the stars next to his name, it. right? Just say what you want to say. Three words. One, the one of the second words. It's six. It's six words. With individual players, stars don't matter. All right. This we're going to do a couple more. From the 614, how scared are you of Wisconsin after they dismantled Michigan State? I know that Michigan State's offense is a dumpster fire, but after seven weeks of football, Wisconsin's playing like a playoff contender and looks to be a legitimate challenger to Ohio State this year. Who can bring up who Wisconsin has played? Can you look on your phone real quick? So here's what's happening, and, I, and I'm not at all surprised that this happened. Of course, I, I, didn't pick North, I didn't pick Wisconsin to win the West because I'm an idiot, but like I didn't, Nathan has been on this Wisconsin thing. They were overrated last year and couldn't live up to the hype. They were underrated this year, and so they're coming out and looking great. They have not played anybody that can play offense, and that's why their here, defense looks so good. Here's, here, so here it is. Um, 49 to nothing against South Florida at South Florida. Lovely. Uh, 61 to nothing against Central Michigan. The Chippewas. At Central Michigan. No, no at home. God. Uh, 35 to 14 against Michigan, a game that was 35 to nothing, if you remember. 20, that was at home. At home, 24 to 15 over Northwestern. So again, a team that I just told you was just in, just, Below, Horrible. just yeah, yeah just uh, just an uh, just an uh, abomination. Allowing of 15 points to Northwestern is like giving up 70 to Ohio State. Um, and I'd That's have to look back. Exactly I'd have to look back. Either. There could have been a defensive touchdown. Who who knows? But I mean, Ohio State um, gets those too. So, <laughs> like. 
Um, uh, 48 to nothing at home over the fighting Stephen Means of Kent State. Yeah! And in 38 to nothing over Michigan State. Go Flashes! So listen, they have played three Big Ten games, and the three Big Ten teams they have played cannot play offense. No. Like, they're good, but they're like And all three good. were at home. And it's Michigan, Michigan State, and Northwestern, which, like, again, it's the, it's the West champion of last year and, like, two traditional East Division powers, yeah. none of whom can play offense. And so I think this, I think their defensive stats are built on a house of sand, man. And so, like, I spent so much time downgrading Michigan State before the 2013 Big Ten Championship game and talking about how there was no chance Ohio State was going to lose this game. I mean, I'm wrong all the time. I just think it, I, I, it's not that I think Wisconsin's a fraud. It's that I think their dominance is a fraud. And I think it's overstated because they have a running game that eats up clock, that helps their defense, and then these teams that they have played, Brian Lewerke and Shea Patterson and whoever's playing quarterback for Northwestern, I'm telling you, man, they are not Justin Fields. And so, no. Like, I think they're getting, now I think they're getting overhyped. They've gotten to this point because, in part, they were underhyped. Now people are talking about how they should get number one votes in the country, and those people are drunk. So they like to prove people wrong. They're over... They are like... They're, they're, they want to prove you wrong. If you think they're going to be good, they're going to show you that they can't be good. But if you think they're going to be bad, they want to show you. Yeah, so right. Now people thought they weren't going to be that good. Be so like, they've been good. Now people think they're good. So they're going to be like, I'll show you how bad we are. And they're going to get de-pants in Ohio <laughs> Stadium. That's, I just really think so. Again, like the worry, uh, like I just, again, maybe I'm wrong because I'm wrong all the time. I just think there is zero worry. Like I'm not, they are what they are. And you know what that is. And Ohio State has beaten that many, 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 many times before. What, what's the worry? What's the worry? What is, where does the worry come from? That, that that offensive line and that running back will dominate Ohio State's defense, control the line of scrimmage, shorten the game, and that, that that defense will muck it up enough that Wisconsin can win 27 to 21? All I've seen is they've done to teams what you would have expected them to have done to those teams when you, you, know, you look at the production of those. Like the only team on that, that Ohio State will not have played by the time they get to, to that game is Michigan. That's because they played in the last game of the season. They, they tore Michigan State apart just like Wisconsin did. I don't see a 27-21 scenario no. playing out in Wisconsin's favor. It would have to be something really fluky like 17-14. Even 27-21 is too high scoring. Yeah. Okay. They're not going to score 27 points against Ohio State. But if they keep it, if by, by the running game just showing up and getting it done and their defense playing, you know, taking these first seven weeks and then putting something on top of that that's even better and they somehow keep it a low-scoring game, maybe. But I'm skeptical, as you are. Uh, I want to give a shout-out to the 440 guy who says his brother-in-law goes to one away game every year. In, 20, 000, in 2017, he went to Iowa. 2018, he went to Purdue. 2019, he's going to Northwestern. Uh, do you believe in sports curses? If so, is this game already decided or is Northwestern <laughs> so bad that you that doesn't matter? Um, I will say, uh, Marcus, I was talking to Marcus Hartman from the Daily News earlier, um, and he made an interesting point. Again, we love this trap game stuff, right? Or did you say it? Again, I can't remember who I have conversations with. They have six games left. They have three games against really good teams and three games against horrendous teams. Did you say that or did Marcus say that? I think this, uh, we were talking about trap games, but I don't remember saying these. So like that, so like there's not a trap because you are not dropping 
a team at the level of Purdue or Iowa in the midst of all this stuff. They're going to be up for, for Wisconsin. They're going to be up for Penn State, and they're always up for Michigan. And then Rutgers, Northwestern, and Maryland are a mess. Yeah. So it's like they're playing like the three other best teams in the conference and the three other worst teams in the conference. So if they were playing one of the – like even if they were playing Indiana with Michael Penix Jr. or they were playing Minnesota. Or even Nebraska at this point, like a team with some type of talent, even if they're not showing it. Well, I mean, just if, if this game Friday night were against – everything else were equal except they were playing last year's Northwestern team on yeah. the road with a, a Northwestern team that was strong on defense and had an actual offense, like a – football bowl subdivision offense, then maybe it would be uh, that would the, the trap game scenario would come into play. I just, this doesn't seem like a team that in any way can threaten Ohio State defensively. All right, this is the last one that we're going to get to, and I, this is a point that I've, I've wanted to make because I trotted out the theory to Marcus, and he, he said it wasn't crazy, so I can say it publicly. From the 559. So I was at the Mac Playoff Committee, as I talked about. After being at the Mac Playoff Committee event, how will they view this Georgia loss? At home versus a backup quarterback for a lot of the game versus a team with a losing record at the time. It seems like a really bad loss. Here is my point on this, and I am skeptical of the committee thinking of this like I'm thinking of this. But what is a worse loss? Ohio State got blown out on the road in 2017 and 2018 against two mediocre teams. But on those days, those teams played great. Yeah. Their coaching was great. And they were both Their teams. execution was great. But those teams on that day, Iowa played like a top 25 team. Mm-hmm. They did not end up as one. Right. But on that day, I've watched Nate Stanley this year and said, how did that guy beat Ohio State? Nate Stanley played the best game of his career. Now, Ohio State's deficiencies helped them do that. But as we've talked about, they had an NFL cornerback in Josh Jackson. They had two NFL tight ends. They had a, a scheme that worked, and they Iowa played wonderfully. Purdue last year had a plan. They had a guy in Rondale Moore who could make them pay. They had a quarterback in Jeff, in, not in Jeff Brown, in David Blau, who was smart and veteran and could execute a great plan by Jeff Brown. Purdue, out of that game, looked to me like the Big Ten West winner. They did not wind up being that, but they played great. I did not watch every snap of Georgia, South Carolina. I was flipping back and forth. I thought South Carolina played like crap, and Georgia lost anyway. So I think losing, and and South Carolina, I think, is going to wind up being like Iowa or Purdue. They're not great, but they're 3-3. and They're going to be a bowl team. But Georgia lost at home to a mediocre team that did not play well. Now, they barely lost. It went to overtime. It was at Georgia. Was it at Georgia? Yeah. So it was a closer loss. But to me, it's a worse loss because South Carolina tried to give that game back to Georgia a million times, and Jake Fromm kept throwing it back to South Carolina. Iowa and Purdue took those games from Ohio State. Now, they stomped them. But to me, this is a much worse loss. And if those losses killed Ohio State, I think getting blown out by a mediocre team that played well is less embarrassing than barely losing to a mediocre point team that played bad with a third string quarterback. That's a fair that's a fair point. I will say the thing that's gonna ultimately separate it though is Georgia will have a schedule that provides more opportunities to get the kind of win that would force it back into the playoff than Ohio State did in either of those two seasons. Just by getting to the SEC championship game alone they'll have that. In the East no, 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 but, I mean, but just but just getting back into an SEC, so winning out, 
to get into the SEC championship game. And then if you were to beat an undefeated Alabama or LSU at that point, that kind of you you're kind of forcing the playoff committee's hand. You said it earlier in the thing. Yeah, and I don't know if I SEC champion gets in. And I don't know if I agree with that anymore. I mean, they do. So Georgia finishes. They play Kentucky, Florida, who's still in the top ten and just lost to LSU. Missouri, who's twenty-two. They're at Auburn. Auburn's number eleven. Then they finish with Texas A&M and Georgia Tech. So they have a couple ranked teams on there. And Texas A&M, who's still getting votes from some people in the polls, so it has some respect and some talent. Their side is definitely not as difficult as the the Alabama LSU Auburn side. But if they win out and then beat. Alabama or LSU, an undefeated Alabama or LSU in okay. the championship game. For the sake of the question, like, because like last year, how okay they lost to Purdue, but then they followed it up and they did not look good after the bye week when they played Nebraska, and then they almost lost to Maryland. It literally, the guy couldn't throw an accurate pass, and that's why they won that game. And even against Michigan State, it was ugly. Like their punter won them the game, and they really didn't get back to looking like the Ohio State that we thought they were until Michigan. That, like so, three games late, three or four games later is when they finally got back to playing at a solid level where everything clicked. So you think if they had so, come back and just put some stank on it immediately after that loss, it might have changed the trajectory. I, I'm not, I mean, the committee chairman, when he talked on those playoff nights, constantly talked about Ohio State losing by a lot, like playing losing big to a mediocre team. And then they did, and then like you saw the next couple of weeks, and then it's. Well, maybe they were just like that bad that like eventually a team was going to catch up with them and they were going to lose that badly. I think in Georgia's situation, I don't think, I, I think they're kind of going to be in it. I don't know, like this is a solid enough schedule where some of these are going to be competitive. And I think they might run, if, if Georgia is the one loss SEC team, I, I could see them actually getting left out. Well, but okay, but, but a competitive win over I know, Florida I know, as the guy is who, different than a competitive like, win over right, Maryland. And as a guy who just left the mock, Playoff committee were like there. You pretty much came to the conclusion that they're not leaving out a one-loss SEC team. Never. They would set the room on fire. They, they, they won't leave out a one-loss SEC champion. Right. 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 They will not. Lo- they will not leave out. They will not leave out the SEC champion. Yeah. Unless the SEC champion right has four losses and it's a huge upset and they take like the team that lost in the SEC championship game over the. Yeah. Like it would have to be like when Ohio State in sixteen went over Penn State. It would have to be that somebody else in the SEC went instead. They will never play a, a playoff without an SEC team in it. The way they played the last two without right. Big Ten, never. But I do think, in general, an overtime loss to a crappy team playing crappy is worse than a blowout yeah. loss to a crappy team playing great on the road. That's a. I think that's a fair and way I to look at it. Yeah. But I don't think the committee would do that. Like, I don't think they have enough nuance. I think I'm smarter than them. But again, I guess my overarching point is that I don't think it matters how bad <laughs> this I'm loss smarter. was for Georgia because there's it's no more room. what they do the rest of the way than what happened yeah, last and Saturday. And and also so obviously, no, if they had just won out, they would have been in. And there's also no consistency in what the criteria is. Right, as we've said. But like in a world, like if it's like if, if Oregon runs the table and there's a one-loss Pac-12 champ and Ohio State... Clemson and Oklahoma are undefeated, and it comes down to a one-loss SEC champ Georgia against a one-loss oh. Pac-12 champ yes, Oregon. Yeah, no. Like there's, it, that's it's Georgia. Georgia. Yeah. Nobody outside of Eugene would take right. The, well, I think people in Eugene would and, 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 and probably. And there <laughs> might be a. I mean, I don't know. We'll see what the Pac-12 ends up being like. And we're looking at Mizzou being. I mean, Mizzou stinks. Mizzou stinks. Like I, as, they're ranked right now. Who cares? Mizzou stinks. I can tell you right now, as someone who voted for Missouri this week, that ranking means nothing. Anything after sixteen right now is a 
crap show. So, I mean, again, the Pac-12 might end up how being... how you feeling that afternoon. <laughs> Oregon might get as many good wins in the Pac-12 as Georgia gets in the SEC, but it won't matter. Like, it won't... And Joel Klatt, my good friend, who we hope to have in the podcast when he comes to do... The Wisconsin games at noon, Joel Klatt and Gus Johnson are doing it, and the... Urban and the gang's going to be here live for the show. So there's going to be a lot going on in two Joel, weeks. come do our podcast. So um, he he's the one. He is on the southern order. southern. Yeah. I mean, my, he might have to, yeah. the two of you and him. <laughs> yeah. He'll like, be, we'll put Doug over there. He'll be like, hey, <laughs> remember me? Doug will Playoff committee. <laughs> do you want to go eat gnocchi? <laughs> um, they would never, like, they would never do it because there is, I think there is some, he believes there's SEC bias and Southern bias, and he'll point to the people on the committee, especially when you talk about recusals, and it winds up that, you know, some large percentage of these people are from the South, and then there's not that many people from the Northwest on the committee. So, no. anyway, I do think, in general, I would hope that that group would, would look at this South Carolina loss as a terrible loss, as terrible or more terrible than Ohio State losing to Iowa Purdue. But I do not have faith in the fact that they would do that. We're sorry we can't get to any more. Um, thanks to Cam Meller for joining us. Make sure you're following us on Twitter at Stephen underscore means at NW Baird at Doug Lane Maurice. Drop some iTunes reviews. We did not get to the map. Uh, we'll try to do that again. Again, there's people uh, like in Guam listening to this. So um, we appreciate you guys listening wherever you are. Try the text. Try the text. Try the text. 14-day free trial, 4 bucks a month. Go to cleveland.com slash OSU for more information on that and to read our stories. But for now, I forget. Well, don't Seriously, don't wake up Saturday morning to watch Ohio State. I bet you if you do that, text us or tweet us or whatever, because that would be a hilarious story. Like someone just still like they remind themselves 20 times and they wake up Saturday morning and they're like, oh, my gosh, they played on Friday night. We will be there in Edmonton on Friday night. Look for our coverage then. Look for our coverage all week. For now, for Stephen Means and Nathan Baird, I'm Doug Lee Maurice, and that was Buckeye Talk. Buckeye Talk.